Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The whole idea here for me is like, let's find people that, that I want to learn from, people that inspire me and the people, like the exact people I would want my kids to learn from. And like, I literally cannot think of somebody better than yourself. Yeah. Um, but uh, I heard what you said about your, your dog, man. And, and um, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. And I, I don't know if, uh, if, if you want, but do, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Or do you want to talk yeah, about, sure. you know, what it's your dog part meant like, to you? And like, yeah, cause I like, I've had dogs my whole life, man, and and I know with you, you, you serve with this dog, and and uh, so I got her while I was active duty. But I wasn't a dog handler. Uh, <clears throat> the whole story, I was super depressed. I was going through this like investigation at work, and I went to Shot Show. You've heard of that, of course. Yeah, I've been there. And so um, there was these dogs uh, doing like a demonstration there, and my friends were starting a nonprofit. They went up to the dog uh, people. They're like, "Hey, we need to get." We need to get Cody a dog. We want to make him our first recipient. So a couple of weeks later, I flew out to Wyoming and uh, found Munin, my dog, and that's how I got her. So I bring her to work everywhere I went, and but I wasn't a dog handler, so like it was like already taboo because no one had an act duty service dog. Mm-hmm. But I did. I said I was desperate, so she did everything with me, and wow. then uh, I had to stop bringing her to work one day. Uh, this like new command guy came in. He's like. They're like, who's that guy? Why does he have a dog? Like, oh, that's his service dog. Uh, his dog helps him out throughout the day. He's like, well, my wife helps me out. You don't see me bringing her around. Yeah. Like very conventional. Yeah, yeah. The people that don't, the people that people talk shit about in the military, right? Because they're just delusional. Yeah. And um, delusional and conventional. It's 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 sort of one and the same. You feel like absolutely. people who are too steadfast it's in their two beliefs. Militaries. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, military is like a lot of people stay in because they're scared to get out. A lot of people stay in because it's easy to be a power trip. And when you have that as your identity, you can very, just like a character, you can fall into it very deeply. And, you know, outside the box thinking or doctrine is this. I mean, this shit was like written by like old white guys, like fucking, you know, 100 years ago, you know, like 150 plus years ago. Like things have changed. You know, we're fighting, we're not with sticks and muskets anymore. Right, we're right. things doing life differently. And there's a thing called a human, right? We're not standing up on, you know, uh, uh, battlefields looking at one another and like taking turns to shoot like, right. uh almost makes me think that history's fake yeah. you know cause like just thinking of it nowadays I'm like you're that that's not even brave that's just that's ignorant yeah. you know it's yeah. stupid yeah. Uh, but that's how we did things back in the day and you know now we have this thing called like people have feelings and emotions and we're real we're asking real people to do very unrealistic things and uh, you know I don't know. I was lucky I was in this part of the special operations community. So we were able to step into that role and I had a lot of support, but then I always had those people that they just don't get it. 
because they live in, they're living in another reality. So we call those people guests. He wasn't part of my special operations uh, outfit. Uh, you've heard of the Sergeant Major. Sure. So those, those guys come into our units from the big Marine Corps. Uh, because to be a sergeant major, you have to be a thing called a first sergeant, which there's no team guy billets for first sergeants. And if you were to become a first sergeant, like if the Marine Corps, you're like, hey, you know what, Marine Corps, I want to be a first sergeant. And then you get promoted as a as a team guy. You get sent to the big Marine Corps for like four years because they want you to they want to spread that leadership and that knowledge experience to like a non-infantry or non-operational unit. And then you can come back as a potential sergeant major. But by that time, Unfortunately, most of those guys forget because now they're thinking, oh, shit, I want to be the commandant of the Marine Corps sergeant major, so I have to have this certain type of track record. And most people aren't willing to put their, put their, their, their dreams for their self-promoting, self-gratifying you know, existence on the line for you know, the change in environment. Right, and ingenuity and creativity and how, how like— Because it's not the norm. Right, right, you know? right, right, right. And you, and you really found that, I know, you, you, when you went overseas the first time, you just saw that it was just like it was a war being fought in a way. I mean, just down to the equipment that you guys had, right? I mean, it yes. was just like you were—we we were not prepared for that. Yeah, and especially like my first deployment, uh, you know, they, they gave us like—we didn't have tourniquets, and— we had this thing called quick clot before they had like the combat guys that had like quick clot. You'd like pour it into the wound and like basically like coagulate the blood and like it would like sear it and like stop the bleeding. Essentially, you have to look like pressure. And, um, but they told us never to use it. And so like no one knew how to use this shit, but like guys are getting like shot the fuck every day. Yeah. And like, you're just like, what do you, you're like relying on a corpsman to come save the day to save your friends. But as I progressed, you know, they started to like, oh, now everyone's going to get trained in this. And then special operations, you do all sorts of different advanced training, medical training, um, even down to like live tissue type of stuff. And you, you're now a force multiplier yourself. You can now sustain life for the most part, you know, stop bleeding, basic, basic life-saving stuff, uh, which, you know, 10 years ago, that was like an unheard of thing. So 10 years ago, Corman also had like pistols. Right. You know, like right. that was because right. they're not a fighter. They're not a combatant. Yeah. And then that changed very quickly when combat outranked your uh, desire to to be a position. Yeah, yeah. So. I just want you to know, man, how much I appreciate you doing this, man, and how big of an honor it is uh, for me. And and I want you to know this conversation can be whatever the fuck you want it to be. You got anything for me, you know, throw it out. There's no good and bad here. So I just want to start out with just like pure fucking gratitude, man. I just want to throw that your way. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Of um, course. One thing I'm like dumbfounded with and I'm like sitting here listening to you and I'm also like getting emotional. I'm like, everyone in this room is going to be dead one day, you know, and people are so scared to like share an ounce of themselves. And I just, I kind of feel like, I feel like it's my duty, this, like this internal calling. And I don't know why, you know, I have my demons. I'm, I have my things I'm a turd at, you know, I'm not, I don't walk perfect, perfect, but I just feel so called just to share and like, you're being pissed today. Good. Share the world that you're pissed today. Like you, you don't know what the fuck you're going on. You're scared. Share it to the world. And everyone's in the world I live in. The, what I see is everyone's always trying to put this like perfect thing out there. And like, I'm like, oh, what does perfect mean? Fuck perfect. We're not it. I'm not it. And when I try to do it, I realize that I'm so further against who I am. <laughs> totally, yeah. And when I try to like fall into like a, someone else's teaching or program, I'm like, I have this burning desire to like break away, not because I'm a rebel. I, I am in my own way, but it's just like, I know the way and the way is just to let fucking go. And no matter how many times I like, I try to prepare like my very first speaking engagement, I, talking to Josh, he's yeah. like, he, he told me, Hey, what'd you learn? Or he's like, what you thought it was? 
what you really found out it to be and what you took away from it. I'm like, oh, that's a great structure. And so I started writing this shit down and I could not remember. I have TBIs like a motherfucker, but like I could not remember to save my life. And I'm like, fuck, because if I have one opportunity to impact just one person, so they don't kill themselves or they, they, they invest themselves in some capacity. Like that's, that's my duty to like perform under pressure. That's what a professional does. And, uh, but I'm like, I could not remember this thing. So, you know, I go on the stage with no plan, like yeah. none. Yeah. And just, it, I'm, I'm gifted in a way, you know, but I think everyone's gifted and they just let go and they just, but isn't that it? Executed. I mean, like that is your mission, right? Your mission is if I can only just fucking influence one person, yeah. like that's noble. There's something noble, but that like that, that's, that's a beginning. Like I often think like, just take one sort of inherent truth, like take that step, whether it's walking in a stage, like I'm not going to sit here and act like I know at all what it's like to walk into combat, but I imagine it's the same thing, whether it's the person next to you, whether it's some sort of core belief, whether it's just like, Hey, I'm just going to fucking try to stay alive. Like whatever that is, um, just like take that first step and that core belief and go at it with everything you have. Fear is fear. Overcoming is overcoming. And that's what I was trying to relate to people is like, they're like, Oh, especially men in the military. Now yeah, I'm getting the law enforcement world that they're just, they're so insecure. They, they were this, this mass, this, this persona. And I get it. I, I've done the same thing, but they don't even see themselves and they don't work in environments where they're fostered with like, Hey dude, you doing okay. Or Hey, you're kicking ass, but I just want to say thank you. Cause mm. attaboys don't exist in like the alpha savage environment. Yeah. And, um, but a lot of these people think they haven't done enough and I asked them like, what is enough? I literally had a guy at my first speaking engagement, 1500 people there. I'm getting mic'd up and he's like, Hey man, thanks for what you do, bro. He's like, I haven't done everything that you've done. You haven't done that much. I'm like, bro. I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, Oh, I run this. Like if you've been wounded as a law enforcement officer, he's got like this like nonprofit set up. He's like, yeah, I was shot seven times with an AR, with an, with an AR or an AK or some shit like that. I'm just like, you were shot seven fucking times, bro. And you yeah. don't think you've done enough. Yeah. Like what is enough? Yeah. Yeah. This other guy came up to me. He's Cody. I'm, I haven't done anything crazy like you. He's like, but, uh, you know, I know my wife, she DM me, his wife DM me, sent me a picture. He had her sent uh, because of that, his house picture of like a bullet in his fucking skull. I'm like, yeah. what is not enough? And so take the war or, or combat or crazy shit out of it. And just how many people don't feel like they're enough. And just, I'm a good mom. I'm a good dad. Mm. I'm a mm. fucking good dog owner. Like, mm. It's just like, why do we live in this like hell? But people are like, I'm going to go to heaven one day. I'm like, bitch, you're going to, you're in hell right now. That's there right. is no heaven because yeah, yeah. you can't even see where that you're living in this opportunity to, to, to why be Why do present. you think people do that? Because it's, because they don't feel worthy. People are great at self-sabotaging. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, it's like, it's, you know, what makes a successful person successful? I don't fucking know. Cause I've talked to a shit ton of them. They're so empty inside, mm -hmm. you know? So what is the key? What's the root? What is everyone looking for? Mm. And I think they're looking for themselves. And, you know, I think there's this like power. I've also realized this and I've been stepping into this power myself more like, you know, fuck it, dude. Just like my hat, fuck them. Do you like, I can have a, my own belief. I can have my own philosophy, my own ideology. Like there's all these different religions and cults and gangs and cliques and social clubs, like, because they have a philosophy and an ideology. So why can't I have mine? And mine is this, like this journey, this, like this undeniable calling you have inside to like, just become more. And whether phase of life you're in, you know what your become more is. Like you might have this, like, I want these external materialistic things or this, I want to be this personally for myself one day, but you know what that battle is inside. And the true test of a man or woman is like, can you, can you address that and face that? And, um, uh, that's where I've been finding myself in the past, like three to four years. And it's fucking the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, God consciousness, whatever those thoughts that come to your mind, you're like, how does it know? Yeah, yeah, it yeah, knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause yeah, you, when know. you find the truth. It's loud as fuck. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cause you know, and it's like, yeah. okay, 
it's easy to like be badass excited, you know, outside of you, but to, to be badass inside, you know, literally with, with the shirt is if you want peace, prepare for war. Like you want, you want the dream life, the, whatever these external things are of you, but do you got to do the work on the inside? Cause I've had so many clients that I've worked with or just people I interacted with that they have all this shit on the outside world, but they're so empty inside because they're all looking for fulfillment. Mm. They're like, I've accomplished all these things. What's next? And I know that feeling. Yeah. I left the military, the pinnacle of everything. And I was so like lost and scared and hurt. If you had a gun to my head said, you got to figure out what you're going to do. I'd be fucking dead. Mm. Um, so I know what it's like to, to accomplish a lot of things and be a high performer. Um, and then feel just like, why am I even here? Like, what's the purpose of this suffering that I'm doing? I've already done everything I'm supposed to do. Um, but to me, that's when like your journey truly starts. I have this like belief that like you're not supposed to see the path. You know, each, each you create the path, each step, and whatever path you're on is the one that you're supposed to be on. Mm. They're not all pretty. Yeah. You know, sometimes it leads to the places full of regret, remorse, fear, you know, known death even. But that's the power of this thing called like free will. You can truly choose the path that you want to take. That's right. And uh, once you do that enough, you're like, damn, this sucks. When you get tired of hitting that same wall, you're like, maybe I change it up. And that's when the fun kind of like becomes because I was on a very downward trajectory uh, internally. I was very self-destructive and I was self-destructing a lot of people around me. Um, so really, really changing that whole perspective of, I don't know, man, you're going to fucking die. What do you want to do? Yeah. You know? Because... I never really believed it. Can you just kind of like walk me through like your sort of desire to join the military, what you thought that was and kind of like your decision to, to be a Marine and then sort of how the reality of combat set in and what that meant to you and what, and what that reality was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I originally wanted to be an army ranger. Mm -hmm. It was like the first poster I saw at like this like daycare that I was at. Yeah. It was a cool guy poster, man. I was just like, Oh, this thing is sick. One day I saw that movie sniper with Tom Berenger. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> what that looks crazy yeah. and he's by himself just all this gnarly shit and i'd like watch all these like uh documentaries on the history channel or like yeah. all these like navy seal bud classes i'm like dude i'm gonna be a scout sniper and all this like talk about like from the history of the snipers and like how it's super hard to make it and i was like i didn't really have a passion for the water so like going the buds route really didn't make sense to me and I literally only joined because i wanted to be a sniper it looked hard as fuck and it said that people don't can't all pass it and Looking back at my life now, I know why. Why? Successful people are bred from just the, the right amount of childhood trauma. Uh, not too much where it puts you to like drugs and like self-destruction, but enough to where you feel like you got to prove something. And uh, I love my dad a lot. And I've been doing a lot of like healing from like childhood trauma with my dad. Nothing bad at all. My dad was a good man. My dad loved me how he knew how to love me. Sure. Um, but I never got like, I'm proud of you. I love you. And... I was always looking to get like my make my dad proud. And um like, dude, if I do some hard ass shit, like he's gonna think it's dope. That was never really my underlining, but when I look back and ask myself, like, how were you able to do all this type of shit? Like, what was the the catalyst of like always pushing forward? I think that fuel came from that moment in life. I was always like I was always interested in like the team stuff. I was like never really good at football, uh, but I love the camaraderie, the motivating type of stuff. I love the hard things that I had no control over because I could sit on the couch and watch Jerry Springer. You sure, know? sure. <laughs> um, but I joined and I wanted to be a scout sniper. That was literally it. So, you know, 9-11 happened. I was in Spanish class and everyone like seen 9-11 on TV. Like I didn't join for America, patriotism. 
Uh, I would have joined if there was no war. Um, I just, I wanted to do this thing. I felt so called to do and everything in my life really like kind of led up to it. I remember sacking uh, groceries at a grocery store and this like weird dude walked up and he was like, you have really deep set eyes. I bet you'd be a great shot. I'm just like, did you hear that shit? I'm like, supposed to be a sniper. Yeah, I'm yeah, it's supposed to happen, you know? And like I made my ghillie suit. Like I just watched the History Channel. This before YouTube. AOL, I think, didn't even come out yet. Yeah. I, like made my, my ghillie suit. I'm in the backyard like shooting little green soldiers. Um, I was just into that silence and I don't know, it just seemed like so much discipline you needed to like do something so hard like that. And that really drove me. So, and, and that connection, sorry to interrupt you, but that yeah. connection with your pops, like when you're in selection courses, when you go on through the military and you, and you, you start like bumping up against like real hardship and things that are like, fuck, like this is fucking hard. Is there a voice in your head that you can maybe consciously or subconsciously sort of, is it your dad's voice? Is it like, no, never. Honestly, the, the old dad thing, just, I just kept on looking back at my life. I'm always reflecting. Uh, I, I try to at least cause I find life very fascinating because mm -hmm. like, there was a time I literally didn't, I knew I was going to die one day. Everyone knows, but I can never put any weight behind it. I'm like, why am I playing small? Like if I want to go start this bit, I'm going to go start it. If I want to go say, Hey, have, have a great day or go fuck yourself. I'm going to go say those things. Like, you know, I, I, I have some like EQ, you know, I, I keep my shit together. I'm not a complete jerk, but at the same time, I'm like, why am I going to hold myself back? But it was really me with my dad. I, I looked back and I remember I came back from my second combat deployment and I went to go visit my family in Texas. And I'm like sitting on my dad's, like wanting to sit on his lap in this big ass, like my parents are like old school. They had this, like the lazy boy corduroy, lazy boy chairs, <laughs> yeah. recliners. And I remember like sitting on the side and I just like wanted to like lay on my dad. You know, I just, I just, I love my dad. You know, I just I found, but I'm, I'm a dude that's like, I've, I've hurt people and I've been in crazy environments and I'm still like looking for that, like, I love you. And, yeah. and like I said, um, I think after looking back at all these parts of my life, I'm like, oh shit. You know, I think I was always, I just wanted my dad his love. And then it also came part of the healing process of like remembering that the dude loved me the best way he could. That's he right. never abused me. He never right. said I was a piece of shit. That's right. He never not encouraged me. That's right. And that was healing also. That's right. I don't even know, you know, you hear about childhood trauma. You're like, what the fuck is childhood trauma? Um, but you don't need anything crazy. Just like PTSD or depression. You don't have to go to war for that shit. You don't be raped or beat up. You just have to have something happen that changed the trajectory of your life. And it could be big or small. And, uh, but that was it. Yeah. There was really no voice other than just like, I just could not, I, I had this voice of like, I got to do more. I, I want to be better. So boot camp was like super chill, easy. It was like means to an end. So I like, it was like a movie, you know, I watched everything I could not to like game the game, but like to, why wouldn't I, mm -hmm. I imagine you research people before you go play a role. For sure. So I'm, my life is a game. I didn't also, I didn't know all that as a younger kid, but like, I visualized it every day. I had a vision board. It was scout snipers and classics. That's all that was on my board. What happened when I joined the Marine Corps? I was a scout sniper and I had nothing but classics. Like I just been living out these like manifestations as a young age, not knowing what a vision board is, not knowing what the power of visualizing what you actually want to do. And more importantly, having this drive, that's why life is kind of challenging now other than like wanting just to help people start living. Because um, that was a very powerful thing at a young kid at a young yeah. age. Like, dude, this is all I think about specific I goals. All my friends, yeah. like most people won't even tell their people that they want to start a business because they're worried about being judged. I'm, just, I don't give a fuck. We're eating fries with mustard in, in, in the lunch break. I'm like, dude, I'm gonna be a scout sniper. They're yeah. like, military stupid. You know, like <laughs> you know, I'm gonna go to college. like whatever. Yeah, just yeah, like yeah. dumb yeah. high school loser yeah. stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So joining the military was 
it was exciting. It's, it's all I wanted to do, you know. You know, I know. You know, eventually you wound you wound up in Fallujah, and 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 but but can you just talk about sort of you know like the the realities of war and what was sort of your first kind of experiences with with combat and and how did that kind of fare up to what you your expectations versus the reality? Man, I was excited to go do my job. I was on a sniper team. I was excited to go perform my duties outside of Camp Pendleton, California. Yeah. You know, I, m- I remember before we actually, but the reality of war was that, oh, look, I'm on a base. We have shitty food. Perfect. We have water that's rational already. This is great. Um, and then like the first like 72 hours there, like a couple of my leadership and my team get like hit by a grenade. They're doing like a left seat, right seat, like uh, with the outgoing army unit. And I'm like, oh shit. You know, I've never seen anyone injured, you know, other than like just basic training stuff. And I'm like, these guys got hit with a fucking grenade. I'm like, holy shit, that's real. And then, um, and what's that feeling, man? Like, what's that? Is it, it's like you're there, but there's like this thing, like with brotherhood and sisterhood, right? Like, it's like a shared weight. So you're not holding the whole burden of fear alone. Cause you know, everyone inside has got like, fuck, they have that feeling. I can only imagine. I mean, I can tell you every time I've ever suited up to go out the door, um, it's not taken lightly, you know, no one's taking it lightly. No one's joking. Uh, and if there's any joking leading up to it, you know, that there's that, there's that pause before you exit and you're, you're, you're becoming someone different. Um, you have to. And so, you know, the reality of war for me, the, the, how it kind of came about was I had to write it. We all had to like write a death letter. I was like, fuck. Like a death letter, this dude comes in. He's like, hey, you guys got to write these letters. I'm like, okay. And so I kind of like gaff it off because like, I don't, I don't know what to say. I write some shitty letter to my mom and dad and I write one to my, my girl, girlfriend at the time and meaningful, but I'm 18. I don't know what meaningful is. Right. I, I have no idea like what reality is out there for me. And, um, you know, that day in particular, my very first deployment, you know, that's, it was a new frontier for me. I remember we pulled outside the city of Fallujah. We loaded up at like three o'clock in the, maybe three, four o'clock in the morning, super dark outside and people are smoking. You see red lights and we get in those back, back of the seven tons and it's just loud and just smells like diesel fuel everywhere. And, but it's quite a shit. Yeah. And, um, we leave the base and they called it the clover leaf. It was the, this like highway system right outside the Fallujah. It was just down the road, maybe like eight to 10 minutes. And so you're like, you're bumpy ride getting there still quiet as shit. And they tell us to get out the trucks and it's super dark, super quiet, but we had these like street lights above us and a couple of guys like start shooting out these lights. It's not like the movies. Like there was, it took a few shots for these things to happen. And I think a couple of shots probably missed. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was like my first gunshots ever heard. Like, Outside the wire, not on a range. And so that was a little heightened level, and and it's just so quiet. And what's even crazier, Fallujah specifically, they were dropping flyers from the sky like days and weeks prior talking about, hey, you have X amount of days to get out of the city. If you're left here, you'll be viewed as a combatant. Hey, there's a curfew. Like it was, there was a lot of preparatory work that went into this, a lot of psyops. Um, And how how did you think you were going to be received? Like you... I mean, so what's odd was that our training for this particular deployment back at home was called SAS. It was like uh, security and stability operations. And so we're like doing checkpoints, basically like martial law type of stuff. And um, like you were being sent to like police the area. Yeah. And basically you, you thought you would be like kind of welcomed. I don't know about welcome, but yeah. we were there to like police the area. And that definitely was like not 
that was the mindset for the training back at home. That's what our unit was doing. That wasn't the reality we faced out there. I mean, the army guys were just getting hammered the whole time they were out there. Uh, no one knew what to expect. It's like the whole like Mogadishu thing. No one really knew the, the horn storm that was about to be stirred up. Yeah. And uh, I remember us pushing into the city and um, being the snipers, we, we led everyone. Uh, where it was kind of like the forward observers type of stuff. And I remember seeing, uh, we had these Mercedes IFABs, these like small little Mercedes Jeeps that our weapons guys had like machine guns and like Mark 19s, like grenade launchers grenade in the back. Launchers, and yeah. I saw one of those get hit with a fucking rocket. I was like, holy shit. Like it's just silent still, even though that's so loud, it's still silent. It's just so, it was like eerie. You're like, couple shots, nothing happens. I mean, something blows up, people get hurt and you're like, fuck, that's intense. But you're kind of like in the zone. So you just keep on going and you, and that kind of repeats itself until you're, you're faced with conflict where you can't just keep on going anymore. Right. So like a lot of things were still kind of like harassing at this point in time of the day, but it was like, holy shit, I just saw something blow up. I just saw some dudes get fucked up. Like, oh, fuck. And next thing I'm telling like, Hey, we're patrolling down here. We're hitting this next house and we're going to go set up an overwatch position. And I'm the point man. So I'm like super excited, but it's also like super intense and it's very urban environment, which we didn't do a lot of urban training. Uh, and fighting in the urban world is fucking, there's urban movement. It's very scary. Uh, there's a lot of uh, unknowns that can happen. Was it what you, did you expect it? Like, was it, what did it look like the way that you expected? Like, I'm sure you I don't imagined. Know what to expect. You could have said, you could have said you're going to anywhere. And I would be like, what does that mean? You know, technology wasn't a thing. I couldn't Google right. what Fallujah was. Right. There was no Instagram videos of war. You know, there was, you know, Fallujah was like the main thing, you know, that people talk about since like Vietnam, like the most gnarliest fighting. OIF-1, which I was not a part of, I think it was still in high school when that happened, you know, 2001, I graduated 2003. According to some of the guys that were there, it was crazy. There was like, there was, there was death, there was destruction, but it was different. It was not as insane. I had no idea what that meant, right? Because I had no comparable. Fallujah was fucking insane. It was like, out of all my deployments, it was still by far the craziest, scariest um, one I've ever done in my life. Uh, absolutely fucking terrifying. And uh, which is cool in a way, I guess. You know, I survived that shit and I'm able to like articulate it and, and hopefully empower people uh, with that type of background and credibility, I guess, to like help people like, yeah, better yourself and shit. But at the time... I'm fucking 18. I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm worried about today. And um, I remember that my day one in the city was uh, March 26th. And uh, we hit this building. Uh, we set up an overwatch position on the second floor. Our job was to basically um, set up an overwatch position, uh, report back anything we saw. And then the, the other squads were going to start pushing forward and we're just clearing like a big line uh, through the city. And my radar operator and I set up next to this window and my, my team leader, my assistant team leader, they're both school train scout snipers. So they had a bolt gun and a pistol. So we clear this big, this big house. We go upstairs to set up. We're like super sneaky and squirrely. And, um, I'm holding security on the door. That's what appointment does. And I was used to that cause I've done this a few times now in this daytime. And I just wanted to get in the fight. I wanted to participate and like do my job, but I have a very important job, making sure people don't come up behind us and like murder us. And my radar operator is, uh, he sets up the radio by the window and he calls out these two dudes that are across the street with guns. And so uh, I come to the window and this is like when all hell breaks out. Uh, we just started just getting like pelted into our room, uh, machine gun rifles. Um, 
and now I'm in a gunfight. It's very loud. I'm in an urban building that's very hollow. It's under construction. So every shot is like vibrating through the house. You have no hearing protection. So like it's potently loud. Um, my heart's racing and it's very violent at this point to the point where like my, my assistant team leader, my team leader, they're in the prone in the, in, in, on the floor because they, they can't engage. They have a fucking sniper rifle and right. they're fighting a machine gun. And we're already like vectored into this, like one little opening in a window. And so, uh, Ben, it was his name or is his name. He was on the right side of the window. I was on the left side of the window. And we're basically like taking turns shooting with our M4 or M16s. And I shoot, Ben shoots. I'm like, I go to reload and, um, I reload my gun and we're fighting these guys probably like 25 yards away uh, across the street. I call it like a pet boys building. There's like a bunch of mufflers and a couple like old rusted cars on top. It looked like it was like a pet boys in Iraq. Um, and I reload and as soon as I come across that window, pop back out. I just lights out. I hear this like loud, like this is like life, like leave my body. And, uh, I had this out of body experience during a gunfight and, um, I didn't really know what that was, but I could, I could just remember seeing, I thought it was dead and I could just, I could see my body. I could see the gunfight. I don't know if you ever played a video game where like you see like the glitch and you can see like through the walls or in the rooftop. That's what I was seeing. I see the, 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 the fighting fuck? across the street. I could see my house. I could see my body. I could see my team. I could see the stairwell leading up to the room. I could see the smoke billowing. I see all this shit. And then, um, I was like, fuck my life is over. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this. And then I literally get sucked back into this light and I come back into my body and I come back to like convulsing and shit. And, um, my, my, my assistant team leader, he's like kicking me on the ground. He's in the prone. He's like, dude, I thought you were fucking dead. And I, I like came to like crying and laughing. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? They're like, dude, we thought you were dead. We didn't see any blood. And I'm like, fuck. And I don't, I don't know what's really going on at this point. I literally thought I was just dead. My head hurts like a motherfucker. And they're like, dude, you got to get on the radio and call. Well, my body dropped next to the radio. So I'm like scurried next, you know, a couple of couple feet ish to this radio. And I, I start my radio transmission and it's like, it's bad. <laughs> it's, it's bad. Like, uh, in between, like, uh, transmissions, we say the word break. break yeah. So, you know, I'm still talking. So you don't step on me. Cause we're all using the same channel. I'm like, War, I think it was like Warhammer or Gunsmoke break. This is break. Grim Reaper break. Like I'm just, I'm like everything is a break, and we're getting nobody. And uh, we try this for like a, what seems like an eternity, um, and we're like, my team leader's like, we gotta get the fuck out of here. So we we break down our position. We're still getting shot at. It's now sporadic now because they don't have an exact target. They're just shooting our building. We're still getting some rounds through a window, and our biggest concern now is that they're gonna come collect their kill, and so. They, they don't know I'm dead, but they've been shooting this window, right? They're probably, we're not shooting back anymore at this point. So we're kind of just like billing out what the future scenario would look like. We, we can't stay here. People know where we're at. So we get downstairs and I remember we set up like a, we set up a radio in like this bathroom. We're trying to get another transmission and I'm holding security. Like the main entrance room is over here. I'm in this bathroom. My team leader, assistant team leader in this room back here. And I can see this window and it's elevated because we're, the, the building is higher than the surface level. And I just see this like turban. That's all I see is like this much of a dude's face like walk by. I'm like, my heart is just like, my heart's racing now. Um, my heart just like fucking sings. I'm like, I'm like, shut the fuck up. I'm like, there's a dude, shut up. And then I hear steps coming into the house. I'm like, fuck. And um, I see the shadow get bigger, bigger, bigger. And I don't know who it is. Um, it ain't one of our guys uh, at least. And so this dude crosses the corner. I just like 
blast him in the face with my muzzle. Well, that was one dude. We have, there's three more guys coming to our house. And now we have four dudes in our fucking house that aren't us. And we're like, dude, we are so fucked. We got to get the fuck out of here. Like there's more coming. Like they're just sending probes. Like we're thinking the worst case scenario at this point in time. Um, uh, Were they armed? No, they they weren't armed, which is even crazier. Uh, But maybe it wasn't crazy. This is my first interaction with anything at this point, right? First, it was like the gunfight. And I'm sorry, what, what did you get wounded? Like what happened? So I got shot in the helmet. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, um, it went like just about an inch above like the lip of my helmet back in the day. If I was wearing like a newer, like half head helmet, I'd I'd be fucking dead. Um, but the older helmets that we used to have, they had this like lip that kind of bowed out some and it literally went right in the divot of the lip. Dude. Yeah, it was crazy. Like my goggles, I had goggles on my shit because that's what you do, right? You put goggles on your helmet and they're like dangling. My MVG mounts like all fucking shot up and it's just like just dangling right here. And um, it, it, it was crazy. So I, I'm going through all that. I'm, I'm very dizzy. I'm very nauseous. And now we have like fucking dudes. Like my adrenaline's just through the roof. Everyone's adrenaline's through the roof. Uh, my team leader in ATL had their fucking pistols out on these guys. We're like, we got to get the fuck out of here. And there's two more guys that come to our door. We're like, get the fuck in here. We start pulling these guys and we start crawling them in the corner. Cause we're like, fuck, fuck. Now we're outnumbered. If they do anything stupid, like, and we hesitate, we're all, we're all dead. What do these guys have? I didn't know what a suicide vest was back then. Um, I didn't even know what an IED was back then. Wow. They didn't really exist. Wow. Um, so those thoughts weren't really in my head. So we finally make my team leaders like, Hey, we got to get out of here. So we make a call. We try to like, hijack a car down the road that like just a random civilian car that was driving and we tr- that didn't really work out for us i thought it would be super cool and epic we like take a car and we go back to friendly lines that was the worst idea we what? had because <laughs> uh, we had to expose ourselves to the middle of the street we don't even know where these shitheads are at we just got in a gunfight with uh and we're like fuck it we just start like beat feeding back uh, to where we think friendly lines are at and we ended up running into a Marine squad that was there. And they were like, hey, you guys good? We're like, oh, dude, we just got, he just got fucking shot in the helmet. And we know we're, we're getting fucking shot over here. Like, yeah, we came up and um, we, we heard some fucking shooting. So we just started blasting both fucking buildings. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, okay. But I didn't really think about it. So I go to the corpsman. I'm like, hey, dude, like I'm fucked up, bro. I have this gnarly headache. I just got shot in the helmet. Like, and I'm like crying still, laughing. and you know, you're like the cool guy. And there's another guy that got shot through and through with his ass cheeks. And so like, we're like the two cool guys right now. And they're like, Oh, you guys are okay. We're like, eh, retarded. And, uh, I get a cigarette and a Motrin. Like it's the stigma's real, right? Like a cigarette and a Motrin. And I'm like, I'm still fucked up. And, uh, I'm not even putting two and two together. And, uh, Delta was doing a, a raid down the street and they, they wanted, they wanted outside security out of court on security. So, uh, we got like the marching orders to like march down there. And I go to my assistant team leader. I'm like, his name is Brian. I'm like, Brian, I'm fucked up, dude. He's like, pick up your fucking rifle. I'm like, fuck, dude, it's hard as shit. Hard as nails, right? I'm like dragging my gun. I'm like holding it without a pistol grip. I'm just fucking dragging. Like I'm, I'm doing my damnedest to stay afloat right now. And he's like, pick up your fucking rifle. I'm like, shit. So I pick it up. I like do this like monkey waddle. And um, we got to the train tracks. That's where we're setting up our sniper position at. And they had it. I didn't, I passed out there and, um, uh, the raid happens. I come to, and, uh, my captain comes up. My, he was like a Lieutenant at the time, actually my platoon commander for the sniper platoon. He's like, Hey, uh, we're going to send you back home. We're going to send you back. 
uh, to base to get checked out. I'm like, no, I want to stay here. Uh, he's like, hey, he's like, we're, we're leaving in the morning. I'm like, no, fuck that. I'm going to stay here. You're just telling me that shit. He's like, dude, all we're doing is setting up a mortar position tonight. And then everyone's leaving in the morning. You have my word. I'm like, okay. So I go back and I get checked out. That really meant just like a doc, it got documented. And sure shit, the next morning, uh, all of our friendly forces came back to base and we realized that there was no plan. There was really no game plan. People didn't really understand what was going to happen. There was no phase lines. Uh, I mean, we were being told to like cease fire with certain machine guns because the various calibers were like going through the city and hitting adjacent units. Mm. Um, and that's when like the rumor mill came to like how I got shot in the helmet. And uh, they're like, hey, we, we, what if that squad fucking shot you? I'm like, that like really like fucked me up too. I'm like, God damn, dude, like I could have got killed by my own people and not everyone has a radio back then. Being a sniper team, we were very blessed. We had ACOG, so we had optics, we had radios for everybody. We had night vision for everybody, but the infantry, the, the, the grunt squads, they didn't have that shit. Like maybe like three people out of like 12 or 13 had an asset like that. Looking back now, and knowing the combat missions I've done later on in life, the gear and equipment that I had to go back to that environment, like, damn dog, we did some crazy scary shit with not a lot of stuff, mm. uh, fighting the urban war without like lasers and lights and night vision. That's, it's fucking terrifying, yeah. you know? Um, because you have no advantage. And, um, so that really set the tone for that deployment for me. I'm like, damn dude, I got seven months left of this shit. And I already like faced like this, like big, like I could have died and it, definitely like terrified me a bit but at the same time it was like it's exciting still because like you can be scared all you want to you ain't going nowhere right so might as well like embrace it and um yeah that but that was a good tone for the deployment and looking back now just i think how lucky i am that that even happened just to even have that story alone helped forge and shape me who i am you know decade and a half later that would bring me to my knees um but i never would have got to where i'm at today if it wasn't for you know, that particular day that kind of set everything up for me. But yeah, Fallujah was a uh, beast. Um, actually, 30 days after that day, uh, April 26, we were, at this point in time, we're inside the city of Fallujah. Uh, we stopped doing like these clearing operations and the new marching orders was that um, we're going to become the anvil. So the company I was supporting was Echo Company, 2nd Battalion, 1st Marines. And it was our job... Basically, all the other units around Fallujah, their whole purpose was to send fighters towards us. And they do that by basically like pinching them and compressing them and, and making them like egress. And they come to us and we do what we have to do. And um, so we, we were the main effort for our battalion. So all the other companies in our battalion were also doing the same thing, pushing guys towards us. They were setting up strong arms, uh, blocking positions, and basically funneling fighters towards where we were at. And at this point in time, uh, these three Delta sniper teams come down. We're like, hey, you know, I'm like a little kid. I'm like, wow, Delta Force, you know, like I, all, I, all I knew was like Chuck Norris, you know, and yeah. these guys are all like, they have like Ford racing hats and like beards and like yeah. revolvers with scopes on them. I'm just like, yeah. and like, like starstruck. I'm like, damn, you guys are the real McCoy. And uh, they're like, we, hey, we heard you guys were like in some crazy shit. We thought we'd come out here and, and, and help out. And we were absolutely in crazy shit. Every day. And so uh, our company commander, his name was Doug Zimbach, he's like, he wanted to do this, like, uh, this sniper mission. So we kept on taking sniper shots from this one particular building across the cemetery, the Jolon Cemetery that, that was right outside of our house. And he's like, I want to take over that position. I want to ambush these fuckers. I want to bring the fight to them. Hmm. And we're like, yeah, let's do it. So 
we create this mission. We leave early in the morning. Uh, the Salters like blow a, a rocket through through one of the ancient walls, and we we go through it. We clear this building, and we found a bunch of weapons caches in there. We found um, where they were shooting from, shooting at us from. They had this big spider hole, like a loophole. You familiar with that? No. Basically, like um, chiseling out like this spider web spiral, like a funnel from inside of a building outside. So you have a small hole in the outside, but on the inside you have a big hole. Uh, so you can traverse and you know change your trajectory. Got it. Um, so you can still they're they're so they can still shoot us, but we're like, where the fuck did it come from? Loophole, murder hole, various names for them. Yeah, bunch of bunch of uh, ammo, bunch of weapons, and we're like, damn, this is definitely the house. So like that that intel was good, right? Visually good. And uh, so my sniper sniper team sets on the rooftop, machine gunner set up on the rooftop, and we're knocking out our own murder holes uh, so we can still be back from the wall and not ex- be exposed too much. And my team leader is like, hey, it's hot as shit up here. How about you you and um, the radio operator go downstairs and we'll come get you in like an hour. And so we're like, okay, cool. My my radio operator leaves his rifle up there with their assistant team leader. I asked my team leader, hey, do you want my rifle? He's like, no, if anything happens, you're going to need it. That's probably like the best advice that dude ever said. Wow. Um, we go down, we're like, our flax are off, we're like smoking cigarettes, just shooting the shit, talking about home and like, Hot or not was big back then. Like all these dumb things. MySpace was popping, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, then then hell hell came very quickly. Uh, our building uh, grenades started going off on the rooftop, and our building just started getting lit up with machine guns and RPGs and grenades, and it was very violent, very fast, like very calculated, uh, not sporadic, very uh, methodical. And um, in our particular room we were in, we were they had these like. Um, like sleeping social rooms where there's just like walls full of mattresses and this is a room we were in and so RPK like just lights up our our, our wall our back wall uh, where the door is that we entered our room so like we're like kind of like sprawled out against the wall grenades are flying into our room Fuck. Um, and the building adjacent to us was literally uh, probably from this couch to that wall right behind you like it's very like you can jump into it and that's exactly what they were doing they were uh, jumping to our rooftop, they were jumping into windows. They were coming to our front door. It was, it was like an all-out like overrun assault. It was crazy. No one really knew the dynamics of the severity of it because we're all in different. We're on like three different levels: rooftop, second floor, and bottom floor. How many so, of you were there? How many what? How many of you were there? We had a full. Uh, I think we had like a like a two squads there, so twenty-five plus people. Yeah, uh, and then. I just remember like screaming and like yelling. Oh, this is crazy shit. And uh, my homie Ben and I, we finally make it out of this room. It's just that quiet is back, but all hell is breaking loose, but it's so quiet. It's it's weird. Such a weird feeling. Um, But you just hear screaming. Uh, You hear support, corpsmen, get that, cover that, pick up that. And then sporadic fire from inside our house shooting out. So that's even louder because now it's inside your house. You're shooting out. And then uh, you hear about all the, hey, we need, we need guys on the rooftop. And at the same time, I see literally like four dudes come down. One's missing an arm. One's missing a leg. One's fucking peppered through his, his face and his body. And uh, my assistant team leader and my, my team leader, my two snipers and the team, they come down all fucked up, fragmentation in the face and in and, and the side of their body. Uh, and I'm like, holy fuck. And it's still happening up there. People are still fighting up there. So this whole time was really based about like taking care of the wounded, getting, we didn't have any stretchers. So we're like banging down doors and they're carrying people and there's just a lot of fucking pain and just 
the stench of like death and um but that silence is still there just this like nothing silence of the mind only thing that exists is like what's your face right now and you don't even know if you're going to make it out of that but you just keep on going because you have what's your other option and so and that's when i saw my first case of like fog of war and like shell shock i saw this dude i came when i came out of this room he was a senior guy than me and he was like on a knee just like not fucking moving and not one second do i think he was scared yeah um i don't think anything negative of him i'm like i tapped him so i'm like hey bro let's go and he didn't move right away i I ended up moving they um they said um they needed more support on the rooftop and one of my best friends he befriended me he was a senior guy he was a senior machine gunner his name's aaron austin he was on the rooftop working his machine gun and uh he got fucking, he got blasted a few times in the chest and uh, they're like, Aaron's hit. And I'm like, fuck. And so I just like, I run up this fucking stairwell and I'm like, dude, I'm going to fucking die. Like it's, it was pretty terrifying. And I go up there and I just see that he's like white as shit. And, uh, but you can't like focus on him. You, there's a fight going on. So uh, there's another guy up there and his name was, uh, I think Charlie was his first name, but Gomez, his last name. Um, I think he got a silver star from the event. But yeah, like sh- like half his shoulder went away, got blasted with an AK. And the guy that I tapped on the shoulder, I'm like, hey, dude, come on, let's fucking go. I saw him up on the rooftop. Actually, I'm going to shot him in the fucking head. I was uh, shooting. I was on a knee. We were taking contact from the minaret. So uh, uh, a mosque was right there. And we weren't allowed to engage on mosque. Uh, so they used that to their advantage. So this mosque had a drop on this particular building. So now we're fighting guys from the high ground and in, in the level playing field. Plus they're coming from the bottom floor and I'm aiming up and shooting and this guy literally just runs right in front of my line of sight and thank God I had like trigger discipline like it was it was crazy but it, it just happened so fucking fast and uh, throwing grenades back from a rooftop uh, like some straight movie shit but yeah. you're in the movie now yeah. and um, we we drag Aaron down and we try to salvage as much equipment there was a sniper rifle up there there was a couple bags uh, our one main machine gun was all like burning we had all of our grenades were up there like our uh, 40 millimeter grenades um for our two or three grenade launcher they're all fucking exploding and ammo's popping here and there and we try to salvage as much gear as we could and we bring down aaron and we're like we gotta get the fuck out of here and so the platoon commander at the time they he he's coordinating uh cobra gunships to come in and support us he's he's coordinating abram tanks to come the only way we made it out of that house is because the abram tanks they came outside they took the brunt of the fighting uh, why we just kind of like scurried behind them and like made it down an alleyway. And I call it like the Mogadishu mile that we did mm-hmm. running back. And it was this Delta medic named Dan, Dan, myself and Ben, my radio operator were holding Aaron and uh, managing this IV line. And Aaron's like, you know, he's, he's talking about his mom. He's talking about mm-hmm. his fiance and you're just, you're, f- I just wanted to cry. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just, you just, you just, I don't know, carrying a body is the hardest thing I've ever done. And I've, I've done it a few times in my life and it's like not easy. Um, it's, it's a lot of weight. And to see, he was like, why does that cup, you know, why does this cup? And I'm just like, fuck. And I didn't know much about medical shit. Like I know now. And, um, I'm, I was very reliant on medics and corpsmen to do their job. And, uh, we, we make it back to the fighting position, our stronghold and our, um, one of the bosses, like, get the fuck up there. You know, like we, 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 the fighting's still going on and Eric, uh, Aaron gets passed off to the corpsman and they're waiting for uh, medevacs. We're well, on the same time, uh, our command, um, 
this is the disconnect that we were talking about. Our command is common to get in the fucking mix. Uh, so our battalion commander, our battalion sergeant major, and like their command cronies are taking our medevac vehicles to come to us. So they're they're basically utilizing assets that we need that we didn't have, and uh, we needed we needed Aaron and all these other guys to get sent back to the mech. The mech was I forget what the acronym stands stood for, but it was like a bigger base. They had a uh, more military units there, and they had like a like a trauma unit there, and uh, Aaron. Aaron died like on the way to the mech. Um, and you're, you find out about that later on. I mean, we're fighting into the nighttime back at our stronghold position. And um, I now I'm assuming a sniper rifle because both my snipers and my team are, are fucking hit. And I took my team leader's gun. And I started uh, going to work with it. And, uh, you know, that changed, that changed everything. The whole dynamics of really reality. That was, I've never been more scared in my life, uh, like absolutely fucking terrified. I mean, to the point where I've seen grown men who've done Somalia and OF1. My team leader, actually, he was told by the, uh, we didn't know this because we were upstairs fighting and throwing fucking grenades. The platoon commander for the infantry squad that we were supporting, apparently he told my team leader to get upstairs. He's like, get up there and go fight with your men. And apparently he told them, I'm not going anywhere with a fucking pistol. That day I saw Corman kill people with pistols they're running out of ammunition with pistols um and this guy he was like done and it it just it really changed my perspective of of like brutality and and like what why what am i doing what is this for what is war what is the deployment? You know, like, what are all these fucking things that we're doing? Those Delta guys flew out that night. They're like, dude, this is this is crazy. They were all shot to shit too. A couple of those guys were wounded. They're like, dude, that was fucking crazy. And um, that was only month two of a seventh month deployment, dude. And so being like, now I'm, I'm now I'm nineteen. <laughs> uh, now I'm nineteen. It, it like really set the stage. And I remember like a few weeks later, the first sergeant there, he's like doing like morale calls for everybody. He's like, gave us a satellite phone. And he's like, Hey, when's the last time you call home? I'm like, I don't fucking, before I came out here, he's like, call home now. I'm like, I'm good. He's like, no fucking call, call your family. So I, I pick up the sat phone and your voice is already like m- kind of jumbled. You sound like a robot. And I'm like, Hey mom. She's like, what? I'm like, mom. She's like, what? I'm like, it's your son. She's like, Oh my gosh. She starts losing her shit. And, uh, I come to find out that cause a month earlier I was shot in the helmet. I was also put in the KIA list. And so my mom got notified that I was dead, but nothing ever, not, there was no people that came to the house. There was like nothing follow on that happened. So for 30 days, my mom and dad thought I was fucking dead. Shut the fuck And um, I'm like, dude, where's, I'm not getting like letters, like not, nothing's happening, right? <laughs> the and cookies, like, but it's also like, you know, out there, just like any confined space where you really have no control of, like a day seems like a fucking week, a week seems like a year, just because you're committed to it. Um, and she told me this shit and I'm, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a Lance corporal. I'm 19 years old now. Like no one, I'm not going to complain. What, the, what am I going to complain about? Um, but I also saw like the stupidness, like that's absolutely fucking absurd and st- stupid. And then I saw the stupidity of like the battlefield of like these idiots that same day, you know, we're waiting for the medevac. Uh, these people, the leadership comes to our position and um, there was like rumors like, hey, you know, we found out that Aaron died and they're talking about like the platoon commander was like, I'm putting an Aaron in for this award. And the sergeant major, 
uh, he came up to me on the rooftop and I'm bloody from head to toe. My gun's bloody. I'm bloody. And uh, I'm like, hey, Sergeant Major, uh, I heard that they might be putting in Aaron for an award. He's like, bronze stars are reserved for staff and COs and higher. And then he told me to uh, unblast my sleeves. Uh, I rolled up my sleeves because the sweat and the blood was like over taking my grip and I'm trying to grip a fucking human body as I'm running for our, all of our lives. And, uh, those are the two things out of his mouth. And that, that was really the first reality check of like, there's multiple wars going on. And I've had some type of interaction like that on every combat deployment I've ever been on, um, where there's a complete disconnect. Um, but there's that, that, esprit de corps and that discipline and the, and the doctrine and all these things. But, but that's what we say, really a life is worth, it's not worth a, an award because of a rank, you know, and that's not even a policy, you know? And the first thing out of your mouth is like, Hey Marine, are you good to go? No, it's like unroll my sleeves. Dude. Um, it, it just, it, it's, it's just, it's comical that you can go through all that type of stuff. And then they expect you to go right back to being a fucking robot and complying and um, subject to just idiocracy. You know, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't have any discontent with the military. I did it. Best thing I ever did with my life. I, the people, everything, but I learned so much. I learned that you're in any institution, there's a rank structure, you're a fucking number. Uh, any institution where there's, um, there's leadership, there's disconnect. Uh, any, any institution that has um, doers and speakers, <laughs> you're going to have ripples. Uh, you're going to have ripples in that pool because there's people living a different life. And I don't expect this fucking guy to like know that, you know, I just lost my best friend. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't expect this guy to know like an ounce of like what I went through or what any of us went through, but just a little, the fucking nod, you know, yeah. and like doesn't exist. Then you're like, what, why, why, why am I doing this? <laughs> you know, what's the point? Yeah. Um, you know, I started to have those thoughts later on in, in my military career because it always seemed that it always seemed that when the boys go down range, they go out the wire. They're you're really on your own. Yeah, you might have support, um, but you come back home to a fucking different. You come back home to like your base, to your command structure, and they're they're not fighting the same war you're fighting. They're worried about your haircut. They're worried about why isn't your TPS report submitted on time. They, they don't give a fuck. How should they and why would they when they're never, when that's not bred in a community? Common sense isn't bred. You can't teach that shit. I've been to like almost all the leadership courses they had uh, in the military and I find leadership courses very comical because they're teaching doctrine that was written so long ago and they don't invoke the power of free thinking and mm. common sense and uh, like we were talking about with like with acting, like being able to like adapt and overcome, not just be so rigid and structured when the, when the rules no longer provide any value, what do you do? You have to do something and, and people just, they don't have that. It's not a common thing I've, I've realized. A lot of people give a lot of credit to, um, you know, the military. There's a lot of brave men and women and they're there for multiple fucking reasons. Uh, but not everyone's a rocket scientist, you know? And uh, you don't need a degree for that. You just need to have a pulse and realize, yeah, this smells like shit and we should probably do it differently. But that goes against the grain because the military thrives on, and it's very successful because of the structure, because of the, the rules and regulations. Uh, I'm not saying that we should throw that all out the window in mm -hmm. wartime, but 
there's a human aspect about war. You know, there's, 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 there's buttons that are killing people, right? Um, there's drones that are doing work. There's, there's robots that are doing things, but there's, there's human operators. And, you know, if you look back in like old warrior culture, you know, they, these old, these old tribes, these native Americans, they had medicine, they had healers, right? They'd come back from war parties and they would, they would fucking heal the person that was looking weird or staying alone. And they would, they'd bring them together as community. And, and you're like, you're like shunned for being that person. Now you're being weak or to speak up and but we call ourselves fucking warriors and savages, alphas, all this type of stuff. And it's, it's, it's comical. And I, and I say that because no one can ever take away what I've done. So I, I have a very beautiful, blessed, traumatic background that has enabled me to speak and say the things that I speak and totally. say today. And without those, I would probably just be a schmo hmm. um, because people like you don't fucking know, but I do know. Uh, I also know what's really important in, in regards to like warfare and, you know, they have this thing in special operations called soft truths. And it says, uh, uh, I think I th I'm probably butchering it, but it says like men are more important than hardware. We have it blasted on the wall. We have all these soft truths. Men are more important than hardware. Um, what does it say? Uh, another one is, is like basically like quality over quantity. Like all these things you are like, damn, those are, those are good principles. I support those 100%. And then you see the quite opposite in the system. Mm. Hey, uh, I know these guys didn't meet the standard, but we're going to let them all continue to phase two. Uh, you know, Hey, uh, I know this guy, he hasn't been the best team guy, but let's go ahead and put him over there. Or like, you know, Hey, um, I know I've asked a lot from you, but I need you to go on one more rotation. Right. And we just go against it. And so, but yet we're so hardcore with these like rules and regulations, but these soft truth, these overarching things, we're like, it's more optional. And so I just always was like flabbergasted throughout my career yeah. with like, that's why I think I was like extremely successful because I was outspoken because I've seen all these horrible things and uh, I've seen the very beautiful things that the military provides and, and the leadership. Like, fuck man, like when you give a chance for a man and woman to like just truly like thrive, it's magical. I've seen so many powerful things, whether that's on a warfare side or just like a support and enabler side. Um, but I've also seen like the complete opposite where the military, and I'm sure most organizations are full of these things. I call them false idols where people mm. are like, oh, so-and-so's fucking epic. They're awesome. And then, you know, behind the doors, they're, I don't care about the personal life. I'm not one to judge your personal life, but like your professional life, you know, they're not standing up for their people. Right. Uh, they're not, they're not speaking up for them. They're like throwing them under the bus. They're yeah. not taking care of them. And I'm just like, you guys are like idolizing this dude, but like he just let your whole section get screwed over because he didn't even scope against the commander and said, you know what, sir, my guys are in best utilized that way. Everyone's worried about peacing the man. And I never understood that in the military. I was always outspoken. Um, I always felt different. I always like, I never felt like I could just conform with like doing what everyone else does. It was and I, don't, I never did any of that stuff to be rebellious, but I've seen too much. I was exposed to too much. And honestly, being having that out-of-body experience and coming close to death like that, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, why would I hold myself back? And right in the beginning, right? I mean, that was like right off the yeah, fucking day, 19 day years one, old. one, right? And you have a 15-year career after. I mean, what keeps you going? In the military? Yeah. So I remember I was in sniper school. So I came back from this deployment and I went to sniper school. Uh, about like 20 days before everyone else came back. So like seven guys from my sniper platoon that weren't school trained guys yet. We went back to sniper school and I find myself in sniper school and I'm on the range. We're doing, uh, and the, and the chief instructor, we're having like a lunch break and we just got done getting like doing like mountain climbers and eight counts and all this crazy shit. 
and he's talking to us as we're like scarfing food on our face. And he's like, listen, he re-enlisted in front of us. And he looked at us and he's square in the fucking face and said, if you want to make a fucking difference, re-enlist. And it's stuck with me ever since. A lot of people bitch, oh, this place sucks, but they don't want to, they don't want to promote to a higher position to influence their battle space. They want to stay the same because it's comfortable and they're good at it. They don't ever want to like change their fucking environment, you know, defy their norm of complacency and comfort. And it stuck with me. And so some, some career paths that I wanted, I had to extend because you have to have like, okay, if you go to this like multi-million dollar school, you have to have so many years left on your contract to to serve that they're going to get their money out of you. Um, so I found myself like wanting to progress in the military. Like, okay, I came back from a second sniper deployment. I wanted to, I really wanted to go to force reconnaissance. It was like the next thing for me. Uh, so when I did all that and I passed, I had to extend for like two years uh, to fulfill a contract. And once that contract was done, I'm like, there's more. <laughs> and so I reenlisted again and I realized I was promoting fast through the ranks. And I don't know, I just, I didn't re- I never reenlisted for America my fucking flag. Um, definitely not politics. It's the dudes, man. I, I love the dudes. Uh, and there's, I saw it. I, I saw it in boot camp. You know, I saw it when I was a pulley. There's, there was people that there's nothing wrong with being like a follower. I think there's a, there's a, uh, condescending derogatory term of the follower, but not everyone can be the chief. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was a chief when I was never the chief. And I was a chief when I was a chief. And was I always good? Fuck no, man. I, I fucked up a lot as a leader. I also learned a lot as a leader. And there's just people that need guidance and support, and they need to be said, like, dude, you're fucking crushing it, bro. I'm proud of you. They don't know how to handle it, but they need to hear that. If not, you're just going to repeat the cycle just in a yeah. different avatar, yeah. and then nothing ever changes. So true. And so, um, but that was really the catalyst for, like, wanting to stay in is – Yes, there was like a self-fulfilling thing I wanted to do. I wanted to, to be more, and I wanted to, especially when I made it to MARSOC, I wanted to be in charge of my organization. When I could see it, I had plenty of time. I knew I could do it, uh, and I realized that the guys that were filling those roles, they fucking forgot. It was very political. The, the really good guys that could fill those positions, they weren't really liked by the, the officer staff. Uh, the men liked them a lot. I mean, f- I only made it as far as I did because like a, a very large handful of these like super, super like senior guys uh, in my organization that mentored me, looked out for me, stood up for me, defended me uh, when they didn't have to. And so, but those guys never got those opportunities to be in charge because they weren't the, they couldn't be bought. They couldn't be bought with fear. Okay. And um, you would see it time and time again, these insecure fucking men forget where they came from and they get these, these high link ranking leadership positions and, you know, I'm not a believer, even if I was not, if I got that opportunity to make that position, not everything is worth fighting for. And that, and I learned that as a leader, I'd come up to my guys, you're like, what do you mean you want me to wear an undershirt? I'm like, listen, bro, we're here to, I used to never wear an undershirt. Then I became the charge of my team. I'm like, listen, dude, we're going to be judged in like the first 30 seconds. Like we're all going to go in there looking the same because we're, we're bidding for a mission. Cause if we don't get approved for it, another team is going to get this mission. Right. Why else would we do this fucking job? Right. I know like, the undershirt's as dumb as you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dumb yeah. It's as like, fuck. who gives a fuck? Yeah, because yeah. when I was being told to wear an undershirt, I'm like, this is fucking stupid. So and so is a sellout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so as each rank, I realized, oh, okay, this makes sense. I also matured more. And then, you know, I was a big jack tattoo guy. I didn't yeah. look like a picture perfect Marine. So, like, yeah. I, I had to represent my team the best way I could. And these idiots cared about, like, how you looked, yeah. you know? And, 
Uh, so I did my best to kind of look that part. Not, I still was me, but I'm like, Hey, we're at least going to like look the kind of the same. And, yeah. uh, we're going to present ourselves in a certain way. We're going to have our gear set up. We're going to brief these fucking morons. when they come here a certain way. We're going to greet, we're going to do everything dog and pony to the next fucking dimension because no one's going to question our caliber of, of professionalism and the way we can execute business. Um, because I realized there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that just talk shit about the system, but they're not doing anything to do it. And anytime there's a box, right? The military is very boxy. It's, it's, it's a structured, you know, the lowest rank, you know, the highest rank, you know, the different job positions you can have in, in, a, in a career field. And you know, the different jobs that exist in the military. So once you know that, that blueprint, it's just a game now, how much you want to play it. Sure. And, you know, I leveraged a lot of that with, you know, like, Peeking behind the curtain, each phase, each level, I'm like, okay, what are these? What are they looking for? Right. What what's keeping guys from moving forward? And a lot of guys, what kept them from doing that was they just bitched and nothing happened. They weren't willing to defy the norm and like do something different in that in that environment. And um, I remember very specifically, I I've deployed from all three operational battalions from Marsoc, and um, I served at every one of them. So I was like one of the few guys at the time that I like, hit all three of them, and. I remember I was part of our third battalion at the time. It was like the bastard battalion. It was like the underdogs. Apparently there was a bunch of great men there. I don't know why. Well, other than leadership sucked. Leadership was horrible. Dog trash. And I I was, I got called back early from Africa and I'm like, Hey, you're being redirected to deploy to Afghanistan. You need to come back and get briefed and you need to start training. So I come back and basically I, I was like the sixth course of action that Marsoc approved on, um, to like, they're like, who has the most experience here in this unit? Uh, what team has the most experience and has the most time uh, so they can go do this mission? And my team was chosen. So I got some new structure and I got some new guys on my team. And I basically like got to build it out. Well, we were the bastard children. The whole time I'm being reminded, don't fuck this up. You know, you guys better not embarrass us. Like, no encouragement. I'm just like, whatever. I don't give a shit. Like, yeah. If you give me an opportunity to, to fucking fail, bro, I'm going to take the opportunity to succeed. Like, it's just... Everybody should yearn for an opportunity to fail because there's an opportunity okay. to fail, there's one to succeed. Absolutely. And so it was like the best training I've ever did. Like my team's running everything. It was super sick, very self-sustaining. We had a lot of support from the command. Uh, so then we deploy, we we go do this training with our West Coast brothers out here and we're getting treated like bastards, bro. Like there's no gear from us. We're getting the shitty training sites. Like it was just a hot mess. We were fucked up in a lot of regards. We didn't know how to like plan and do mission prep like they were doing. Um why is that? Like, why? Like, do you know why? So there's a thing called standard operating procedure, but it is truly not. It's really more or less for per battalion. And so the third battalion that I came from, it was really focused on uh, their main mission at the time was foreign internal defense. So they would do these like training, joint certification, exercise training events, like all around the world, basically not Africa or not Iraq, not Afghanistan, where our, our California battalion was mainly focused in Afghanistan. So they're doing a completely different training. That theater requires a completely different mission planning, not only for your internal training, but like how you submit your concept of operations to a higher headquarters than Africa. Africa, I'm like submitting shit to like embassies and yeah. a, a person in Germany. Like it's just, just different. So we didn't know. We didn't know. Once we found out, we came back for the final training and like my team like smoked everybody. Like, you know, we had the best everything, the best composure, the best, just, they were just top dogs. And you know, I realized that, you know, you can turn, you can take any dull shoe and make it shine, but you have to put effort into it. And you have to like, Hey man, we're going to do this. Like you have to like bring people up with you and 
that's one thing I, I noticed throughout my career is like, there's not a lot of empowerment. A lot of people don't empower people. It's like, I have to do all these things. I have to do all these things. And, uh, there's things that only you can do, but there's other things that other people can do. And as a leader, one of the hardest things is taking a step back and doing this thing called trust, mm. you know? Um, it's really, it's really hard, but that's how you mentor your subordinates is. I remember this one guy, he was a new sniper in my team. I'm like, I, I'm like, Hey, I need you to go to the armory, grab all these weapons. I need you to go do X, Y, and Z. Do you have any questions? And he's like, no. I'm like, do you have any questions? He's like, no. He comes back like an hour and a half later. I'm like, you get all this shit done. He's like, what was I supposed to like? How do I do this? I'm like, Duh. okay, this is why we ask questions. Like I'm not challenging you. I'm here to support you, but I can't support you if you're withholding from me. And you know, that changed his whole mindset and outlook, but that's just not a common thing. Like, no, you're a piece of shit. You know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's very doggy dog, but which is, which is fine too. I mean, life is doggy dog. Doesn't mean you have to live that life. Mm -hmm. You can choose to, mm -hmm. but you don't have to be mm -hmm. that. And, uh, that's what I really thought the beauty was in the military. Cause people are like, how are you getting away with that? I'm like, I just did it. Mm. How did you get that help? I just asked. They're like, what I have that opportunity to? I'm like, everyone's got that opportunity, bro. They're like, well, I didn't know this thing. And, you know, towards the end of my career, when everything started like diving into like my, my wellness and my, my mental health, you know, that's when I really took advantage of that, like that type of empowerment, like spreading the gospel of like, yo, you can get, you can take care of yourself. You don't have to like be a piece of shit and like suffer and be in pain all the time. And, so I'm just, I know it's a lot of people, especially a lot of triggered, emotional, uh, insecure people. They're like, oh, he's talking shit about the military. No. One, I can do that if I want to. But two, I learned so much. And I learned, I learned, I learned how to face like some of my biggest fears. And stepping up and speaking out is, was probably some of the hardest things I ever did in the military. Uh, and that was like asking for help and support wow. with myself. And you know, being an advocate for other people to do that. Cause that's not a, not a common thing. I mean, there's a war side and there's a human side of, yeah, yeah. of that type of job. And it's just, it's just, it's crazy where you, where you can end up at if you, if you choose to. And none of it was planned for me. I always vision myself being like the top dog. I always vision myself, you know, I told myself every day, I'm like, dude, you'd be you're the biggest, strongest motherfucker in this unit. You're gonna be fucking in charge. You're the baddest motherfucker out there. Like, why would I tell myself any other different, I'm in a job that could take my life. You know, if I'm in a job that if I'm not bringing my A game, I can get someone killed. Why wouldn't I hype myself up? Mm -hmm. um, but I realized that a lot of guys in the job, they just, they don't do that. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys that are really great, but they're like kind of linear. They're great at the hard, scary, traumatic shit, but they're not good with like their social life, mm -hmm. you know, communicating with getting help or themselves. And, you know, that's really kind of like where I flourished my, myself into in my career. And then, you know, as a civilian now, I'm like being a voice for the voices, they have the voice. They just don't want to tap into it. Cause yeah, yeah. like, if I do, what's going to happen to me, you know? And, um, I think that falls in place. Like a lot of people, the whole, like, what if the paralysis by analysis type of thing. And straight up and in it's in your fears. You got to admit you're afraid. I mean, it's like that first step. Right. And, and, and it's like making any kind of change, you, you're fucking stripping shit off and there's nothing there. You got to fill it with good stuff. Right. I mean, it's got to figure out something to fulfill with. I, I, I just, the way that you put it, like doers and speakers, I've never really like heard it, heard that before. And that, that makes like a shit ton of fucking sense to me. And I think doers always respect doers. And, um, I don't know if speakers respect, I don't know what speakers respect, you know, like, I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, aside from your own, can you give me like an example when I ask you, like, what is the best example of like, combat leadership or military leadership or something that you've seen like a decision making or like really being there for somebody else uh what, what's the first thing that pops into your head 
have a lot of examples. I feel like now I'm trying to put words to it. That's a good question. That's a really good question. Or just like some, like some person, some person that you look at that like had a huge effect on you, something that you saw them did, no matter how big or small, how minor or major in theater or not, like in combat or not, like just something you're like, fuck yeah, like I'll follow him anywhere. Or like, I, I, I believe in that. Like what, what, what's that quality? Willing to fucking throw it all away for someone else. There's ways to do business. There's a way and there's the way. A way sometimes yields results. The way gets shit done, but most people aren't willing to do the way. And I've a lot of my leaders growing up, they were the way. Um, I mean, fuck, man, I, I I fucked up so many times in the military, but I'm like, oh, I saw really great leadership. Um, but to me, like the best synopsis of like a, like a combat leader, war leader, just a leader in general is literally someone who is fucking selfless and like lets makes it about the boys. And that's not an easy thing to do, like to truly make it about them and like make sure they're taken care of, um, going above and beyond, like taking it to the face, how many times it takes to, to get them what they need. And um, I had a lot of examples uh, like that, that I, I got to witness. It takes trust. It takes trust um, for someone to like let go of their power and to empower others with it. That's like not an easy thing to no. do. And I think how that's able to happen is you like see it. You see who like really cares, but who just needs that, that help. And that leader is anybody. That's why I try to tell people leaders. You don't need combat. You don't need military for that shit. A leader is someone who steps up when called upon to step up. That's what a fucking leader is. And I've seen leaders happen in all forms, whether a leadership position or not, just someone decided to do something fucking different that altered the course of someone's life or altered the, the outcome of, of a situation that was taking place. And I don't really know if I can give you like one specific, but it, it's a choice. Leadership is a choice and literally anyone is capable of being a leader. Um, so are you prepared? Are you prepared to face the consequences of being one? Sometimes that means responsibility. Sometimes that means fucking punishment. Sometimes that means banishment. Sometimes that means being an outcast. Sometimes that means being that fucking guy, you know, but why else are we doing this? We mm -hmm. say we're about brotherhood and sisterhood, but you know, are we really about that? And the times I've seen leadership happen. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I don't know. It was, just, it was just there. Just like you and your friends, your really close friend, you're just like, you do that, that fucking nod with your eyes and your soul and just connected. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's all you need sometimes. Yeah. Just like, I see you. And for you, when you were, again, when you were sort of faced with some of the bullshit created, it's like that look, that nod, that, 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 that just understanding without saying a fucking thing that we're in this together and that I'll follow you. I'm, I'm going to be right by your side no matter what. That's what carries you forward. Yeah. I mean, I think if, if dudes, dudes know they can trust you, they'll fucking go, they'll go to hell for you. Um, I had guys defend me. I was under, I had this crazy investigation. I was under for like two and a half years and I had guys defend me all the way to the end. You know, they, they saw it through. I also had guys that fucking rolled and made false accusations and allegations the entire time as well. Uh, but they weren't my boys. So there was definitely a um, a common 
What's that like being under investigation? Like your fucking family calling you up, telling you they fucking hate you. And that if any of it's true, they just can't talk to you. Uh, I put half these off. It was in regards with an officer. I was an enlisted guy. And I put, I put the first three courses, first three pipelines through MARSOC training. And so I trained a lot of officers, a lot of enlisted guys. And these guys that like I fucking mentored and led and worked for, and then they, they became my bosses. And I supported and I did what they asked and executed. Just fucking turned their backs on me. How so? Wouldn't talk to me. I'm like, dude, you believe that shit? Like, I don't know, man. I just... Because of this investigation? Yeah, because of this investigation. Uh, because it was against an enlisted guy and an officer, which is a very, like, fucking taboo thing. You know, it's like the most, like, oh, my God, type of environment. And it, it was hard. You know, I, I was removed from my team during this investigation uh, to let it cool off. I'm like, why the fuck am I missing out? Like, why am I getting punished for this? Like, I... I just had like tr- like charges and rights read to me like that's it like nothing else is crazy. Uh, there's like no proof, none of this evidence type of stuff happening. But it's like it's a reoccurring thing because this other guy in question, like he just wasn't satisfied with the outcome, so he kept on bringing it up again. And look how I look, dude. I worked in a in a good old boy organization where you gotta look like a little poster boy, and that wasn't me. Uh, and I was a threat. I had the rank, I had the experience, and people knew I wasn't a bitch. And so, like, I wasn't going to roll over and just accept being, like, fisted by, like, lies and deception. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me what the guy accused you of or you can't? If you don't want to know. Uh, I mean, I'd rather not. It's like, yeah, don't worry. it's just, because it, it's irrelevant. I'm, like, way past that aspect. Yeah. But the, the, it's, and, like, the guy and I, like, we're, like. We're cool now. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of, and that was a great learning thing for me. I hated this guy for, like, six years. Like, How did you get through that? So, six years later. I'm now this guy's fucking boss. So he's still an officer. He's just got more rank. I'm a list guy. I just have more rank. Uh, but he's, he's managed, he's falls under a section that I manage now. And the commander at the time, he's like, I had to get some paperwork signed by this dude. And I'm like, I was being a passive bitch. I was like, just going to put it on his fucking desk and like email him like, Hey, sign this shit and bring it back to fucking so-and-so. And so I went out, grabbed the paperwork, being a passive bitch, walking out with my intent to do exactly what I just told you. And I run right into this fucking guy. And we just like, death stare each other like i'm beating him to death in my mind (laughs) and i'm he's beating me to death in his too like he hated me just as much right because it caused grief um you know because this whole time and they they do military does a thing called like well most people do thing called a case study and i was a case study in marsoc like they gave me a different name but they described me to the t and the situation to a t and I'm being briefed in front of all the fucking Marsock. Like, how would you act if you were in this situation? And what's the right thing and the wrong thing to do? And I'm in this, like, leadership circle with some officer who I put through fucking school reading me the thing looking at me. I'm like, bitch, you know it's about me. And he's like, uh, well, what would you do? I'm like, I'm like, do you think I have the best attitude? <laughs> Fuck no, bro. Like, my name is being smeared. I'm on the yeah. wall. I, at yeah. the, I don't probably not anymore. But I was on the walls of, like, the history of our organization. And just getting fucking blasted everywhere, man. Like, like I'm a piece of shit. Like, like I haven't sacrificed more than just my fucking soul for this place. And so I had all that hate for this guy. Yeah. But so I run into him, give him this sheet of paper. And then I take a step back because I'm a fucking leader. I can't be, I can't be acting like that. I had the hate, but I, I can't be acting like this. So what do you do? So I started to like catch wind of like how he was treating his Marines and like how he was like taking care of them. I'm like, fuck man, this guy's been doing a lot of work. I went to some of his training events. I'm like, man, this, 
he's not the same fucking guy anymore. And uh, I, I was telling my boss, I'm like, hey, dude, like, I, I can't hate this fuck. I don't want to hate this guy anymore, man. And he's like, yeah, good. He doesn't want to hate you either. I mm. think you guys should like make up. So like, sure as fuck, dude. Like, we apologize to each other. It was like this weight off my chest. Dude, good. six and a half fucking years, dude. Like, if you were, he was burning on the side of the road, I would just watch him. I'd probably like siphon gas out of my fucking truck. Yeah. Like, yeah. and put it on him. Like, yeah. I had so much discontent. Yeah of not just him, but really what the whole environment, and he was just kind of like the, this, the, the, the nucleus behind it all. Yeah. Uh, but that whole environment, it taught me so much. I was literally, when did we apologize to each other? It was literally like something we had did like four or five, six years ago. Fuck yeah. And I had, I'm asking myself like, how much did that affect me in, in other things? Yeah. You know, like, how many more times do we go around and people are like mumbling, oh, hey, that's so-and-so. Hey, that's so-and-so talking about him and I. Like, watch out for them. Because it was a thing I, pl- I was plagued with for years. Um, I remember when I took over a, a company, I'm some of the youngest guy that's in this, this certain rank and I'm the youngest guy to take over a special operations company. And one of the first things out of my boss's mouth, my leader's mouth was, uh, hey, you better not pull that shit. You pull that other officer. I'm like, you know, I was acquitted, right? You know, like nothing fucking happened. All we know is macho and the way it was. It's just, it's just a stigma. So like, yeah. even though like I'm, cr- I'm crushing it, I'm fucking, just, I'm crushing it. I'm in empower- my team. My people are crushing it. Like everyone's crushing it around me. This is the residual effects of like a toxic work environment right. that you just couldn't escape. Right. I was, I had the stigma for years of like the guy that hated officers or disrespected officers. And, you know, I had well, some allegations were like disrespecting commission officer, disobeying direct orders, like a bunch of like shit that can get you your PP slapped and a bunch of other really crazy things that get you really in trouble. But it wasn't disrespectful. I just wasn't a bitch. Yeah. And most people expect, and I've seen so many tough guys that are just, they're just bitches. Yeah. You know, when it comes to like truly fighting for themselves, not their friends, yeah. they're not bitches for right. that. Right. But for themselves, I remember one particular time we were our, we were doing jump, our jump pay. So we get paid every month to jump, to be uh, free fallers or static line jumpers. And you have to maintain a certain amount of jumps a quarter to maintain your currency and your pay. And they did this huge audit. And this point in time, like our commander at the schoolhouse was like, no, no one can jump because the focus was on these fucking students. It was like a big deal. Um, and we're like, what the fuck? They're like, hey, we're going to take, we're going to put in waivers for your jump stuff. Fast forward a few months, turns out that wasn't the case. And so now we're getting docked like thousands of dollars of pay. I'm in the military, bro. I ain't getting paid like all that in bag of potato chips, right? And my quality of life directly is affected by this. And they're like, some guys just accepted it. I'm like, fuck that. So we have this thing called request mass. So basically I can go up my entire chain of command all the way to my commanding general and be like, I don't agree with this outcome. I'm going to fight for it. And I, I went to my boss's office one day. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm going to request mass. They're like, for what? I'm like, my jump pay. It was seventeen hundred dollars. I'm like, dude, listen. I would have requested mass for a fucking penny. There you go. It's the principle, and uh, because they just told us to like accept it, and some guys did. Some guys didn't fight it. I'm like, pushover, dude. I like print out my I print out my calendar. I print out all my shit, all my emails, all the stuff, and I went all the way to the fucking general through my chain of command. I get to the general. Now I learned this is also a great lesson. I learned that general doesn't really have that much power when it comes to your money. They can dock your pay, but they can't say, hey, you know what? Pay them back. Uh, the G-man owns your money. Uh, Kansas City owns your money. And so uh, the general endorsed my docket, got pissed at my other lower-ranking officer, and uh, he's like, I can't guarantee you anything. I, I still, they still took my pay. The general endorsed my shit, but 
Kansas City said, fucking eat a dick. Uh, but it was just like, I, why would I just accept it? Yeah. You know, and, but that's kind of like my outlook on a lot of it, dude. Cause like people use, it's fear tactics is a big thing in that yeah, organization. Man. Fear tactics is a big thing in civilian life. That's oh, right. don't be an entrepreneur. You're going to fail. Don't, don't go for your, don't go for your dreams and quit your day job. You're going to suffer. Like all the, everything is fear, 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 fear. And if fear is the thing that keeps you from investing in yourself, then apply that to anything in your life. And do you want that outcome? I did not. Um, you know, but fast forwarding a bit, like, you know, letting, learning from this dude and, uh, maturing a lot. I was also falling apart mentally and cognitively. So I was opening up a lot more uh, at this time too in my life. I was very desperate for help. I'm, I'm asking for help a lot. Uh, I'm working a super low speed job uh, where I'm afforded this opportunity to take care of myself and start this whole thing. And so it was like part of this healing shit. I, I knew at this time I was, I was going to be getting out of the Marine Corps. I didn't know how or when, but I could not leave with this baggage. Um, Cause I didn't know what it was doing to me already. Like my wife knew about it, you mm. know, like that's bad. And so being able to heal and, and, and just like acknowledge this dude's growth. Was he still a G? I don't know. That ain't for me to decide anymore, but he grew so much at the time. But most probably so did I. Yeah. And for us just to be able to acknowledge other as men and be like, fucking stupid. How dumb was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's, that's, that's leadership. That's learning. You know, you're, you don't learn by having a perfect path for sure and and the, 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 like just the power of just fucking forgiving somebody you know because you, you're just carrying around that shit that that toxicity you just like let it fucking fester in you and you just keep on letting it build and build and build and grow and like you let it exist and it's like there's such power in just being like hey man let's just fucking cut this shit out right yeah dude i don't need that stress in my life yeah fuck no and uh you know, I've talked to a lot of people, you know, sort of for the transition into civilian life. Like, obviously, it's not, nothing that I could ever begin to understand. But, like, what, what, what did that feel like? And if you could, um, if you could sort of, like, classify it or put it into words, how would you? Scared. You know, my whole identity was my job. Uh, my vision for myself was only the military. And when it, when it came to an end, um, I didn't know anything. Like... There's a massive support network in the special operations community where like, hey, what are the five jobs you want to do? We'll make you resumes and help you get interviews. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I just started making up shit and none of them sounded lucrative to me. I was just so, I was a new person because I was even acting differently. Like I was getting, I was, I sold my motorcycles because I was falling off my motorcycles. I was getting lost going down the street at my house. I was getting fucking lost in like, we sold our house because now I'm on this, this medical board and about to retire the military so we're like downsizing our life and try to set ourselves up for the for the future and so i'm like selling my dream truck trucks selling my dream motorcycles downsizing my dream house uh i'm getting lost in apartments so i've like viewing them with people and i was just so desperate uh i thought that that was the pinnacle of my life i thought that that was uh what i was here to do and that was it and i didn't know what phase two was and so I was happy to get out because, like, I wanted to be free. And it was a fucking blessing. I, got, I retired four and a half years early. Um, yeah, and I'm, I was truly grateful for the opportunity. But I also was really open with myself, too. During, at the end of my medical board, I tried to self-sabotage it again and try to try out for the selection that I finally had an opportunity to go to. And... Um, I go to the neurosurgeon. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm going to pause this, this medical board. 
I have a chance to go to the selection now. I'm, I'm going to go do it. And he's like, okay, we can pause it. This is a fucking leader. You want that example? This is a leader. He asked me, if you made it over there, do you think you'd be a liability? I was like, fuck. And I thought about it for a second. I'm like, yes. If he never asked me that fucking question, I would have lied to him, hmm. lied to myself like I did for a decade and a half. What were you chasing? Like, what, 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 why sign up? It was something I wanted. I felt like it was the next progression of growth. Uh, I wanted to be in an environment that like people were held accountable, where there was a standard, where your families are taken care of. And so I thought, right, you know, it's the whole like grass is green on the other side. Uh, my friends over this unit, they're, they're fucking constantly busy. Some of them not, don't, don't really have great lives. And, um, but I wanted to know if I could do it. You know, I wanted to know, could I fucking, could I be a person that that organization, you know, would be able to utilize? Could I be an asset? And, um, and I wanted to for years. I put in for it for probably like five years. And because of my rank and Marcel was very new at the day. So like they weren't releasing guys uh, that often. And this place only has so many like Marine billets. Um, and now they took up the Marine Corps took off the rank restriction. And so it's like, I was like, it's like the perfect storm is like my opportunity to go. And, but I'm glad that happened because that fucking doctor asked me that question because of this opportunity. And, I'm like, fuck, that's like really, I really got real with myself. Like I am, I would, I am a liability. My attitude actually is shit. I am way more fucked up than I think I am. Mm. I am a piece of shit to my wife. <laughs> I need help. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know where I'm going. I'm fucking lost. I don't know anything. Um, and so really like open up this like bag for me of like vulnerability, which I now like lean into um, because it sets me free. It's like, I'm like, I'm going to fucking die like you, bitch. Judge me if you want to. You know, I want to be happy, so I'm going to go do this. You know, like, it's the number one thing that has helped me, like, transform my life and, like, at least get to where I'm at today. Uh, and where I'm at today is I believe in myself. I'm still lost and scared. But I, I, I'm a true believer that the path isn't supposed to be clear. It's you illuminate it with each step and each new opportunity that I get. It's like opening up a new doorway, a new threshold. I'm just having this thing called faith and, like, Tell myself you're not supposed to know. I'm, I just turned 38. You're not supposed to fucking know. That's right. Just keep on going, and I want to quit every day. I, every day I want to like, what's my plan? What I, I want a job, so I know like what I need to do every day. Like I, these are things I fucking battle. And if I had a job, I'd be like, oh, I would just like it's. I had a job for four months as a civilian. I worked in the cannabis industry, and it was great because I realized that I am not meant for four walls. You know, like <laughs> I'm not meant for that. Uh, yeah. I, I'm here for so much more and I don't know what that is specifically yet, but I do know that that ain't for me, yeah. you know? So I don't know. I just, I love the chance to like try to figure out how to be human. Now I figure out how to like keep on like not impressing, but like answering those voices in my head of like, be better, do this, do that, go for this. This scares me. Go fucking do that. You know, you want this next opportunity, but you're not doing the opportunity that's right in front of you. Like trying to like really like understand how to be human and how to be me. And, um, it's crazy, you know, and, and, uh, how, how do you feel like uh service? How do you feel like service plays into that? Helping others, like, 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 like put, putting it into others. Like, does that solidify I choices for yourself? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And what know, do you love about it? It would be selfish of me if I went through all these things in my life, if I got if I got to experience all these things in my life and I didn't share them with people, um, 
when I got out of the military, my wife and I li- lived in a conversion van for about three years and I went to social media and I just like pour my heart out. Like all the crazy shit I'm like going through, how I'm depressed and I'm sad, I'm lost. What or, made you want to do that? I just felt called to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Um, I had no agenda behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I sold all of our shit where we could like live off my disability. So we live like way, way, way like low key. So I wasn't taking, I had a job, I didn't have anything. I wasn't trying to make money. Um, at this point in my transition, I'm like, the money is the devil, it's evil and all these types of things. But like, I was still hurt. I, I was going through this like victim phase. I felt very betrayed by my country. I hated the military. I fucking hated everything. And it was a big, woe is me victim uh, phase of life, which I'm glad I went through. That's uh, pretty common, huh? It might be really common, but it's not probably common to acknowledge that. Um, but I was like very toxic. I, w- I was positive toxic. I would, you know, like talk shit in my mind or to my wife about like people I saw winning on social media. I'm like, that guy's a piece of shit, man. Fuck him. Yeah. He sucked. Why is he doing this? <laughs> I could be doing that. Totally, dude. But like, you know, fast forward my, my growth of life. I'm like, what oh, damn, but they're doing it. Yeah. And the only reason how they're doing it is they just decided to do it. Mm. And mm. I started to apply that with my life later on, but I didn't, I didn't know that then. And I didn't know anything about my emotions or my feelings. Um, yeah. But getting out, I, I was so lost. I didn't know who Cody Alford's my name, but it's not who I am. And I was on this like mission to like figure out who the fuck I was or who, who am I? Um, and so the van was like the best thing ever. It was horrible. I, I complained 99% of the time. Yeah. I had gnarly social anxiety as gnarly depression. Um, but my wife is such a, a G and a trooper, man. She like did all this, you know, for me, she did all these things to like help me find healing in myself. And we didn't know the blueprint of the path. It just, it unfolded. I was, I was, you know, I'll give myself plenty of credit. I was fucking brave to, to cut away. It's very common in my job to get out and go back to a gun to make fuck you money. But like to go die in a country for a war, that's not even about what you think it's about. Like it's just all these other silly things that I just didn't buy into anymore. Like I felt so called. I got this opportunity to live. I got four and a half years of my life back. You know, I have this opportunity just like everyone has an opportunity. Am I going to squander it? Am I going to do something with it? And I just felt so called just to like keep on exploring me. Who am I? What makes me tick? What's my belief system? You know, what do I want to really do? You know, what's my passion? I, I didn't know any of these things. So social media was a big part of my growth and my transformation uh, just because I was just sharing. So when you asked about serving, people were like, oh my God, I, I fucking feel that way too. And then I just found myself being like this like 24-7 hotline in my DMs, and um, which was super dope. It really helped me out to serve people, to sure. help people. But then sure. I realized that it was draining my soul uh, which I didn't even feel connected to in the first place. And I'm like, fuck, I can't help these people because they're, they're just draining me. I'm getting a lot of these suicide talks and I, I've been on the phone with the cops. Like some random person messaged me like, hey, my friend is death by cop scenario. Can you, can you talk to the officer? I'm like, what the f-? Like, I don't even know these people, yeah. right? And it's just, I felt like I, I have to do this. I have to do this. And I, I got into uh, plant medicine and, uh, psychedelics. And I realized I have to help myself before I can help anybody. And I, I didn't see that at first. Um, how did that come into your life? So actually it was like 15 days after I officially retired from the Marine Corps. Uh, I'm having to get together. I'm not having to get together. I'm, I'm at a friend's get together. And, uh, one of our mutual friends, he's like, Oh dude, you ever done mushrooms? I'm like, no, but I've always wanted to. 
uh, he's like, cause when I was doing my brain treatment in Tampa before I retired, they said like, you could see like someone on mushrooms, you can see like the, how their brain fires and like how it just all lights up. And like, I was so desperate to, I was kind of fucking retarded. You know, I was still studying my words. I was not cognitively confident. I was, I literally lacked confidence. I went from this confident alpha stigma persona to like, dude, I was afraid of my own shadow, dude. I had the worst perception of myself. I had body dysmorphia. I realized for like fucking 15 years, like whole time in the Marine Corps. Uh, like I was just really just dog garbage relationship with myself. I hated me. Um, I hated me a lot. And so he, he's like, he gives me like, it, was, it turned out to be like six grams. And, uh, he's like, I'm like, what do I, how do I do? And he's like, bro, just fucking here, take this much. <laughs> and like, I'm like, okay. So my wife and I, we like, we like venture off into like BLM land and I, she was down for it. I'm like, I'm fucking desperate, dude. Like I, I need this in my life. And I like, I set up my chair and I, unknowing to me, I, I start creating, I write down my intentions, not expectations. Right. I just felt called to do these things like this kind of structure. And I, I fucking blasted off on my very first journey. And, uh, I came out of it like, holy fuck all knowing, you know, like this, like God facade and my depression, my anxiety were like instantly gone. Mm. I was instantly happy. Mm. Um, and so I'm back in the van for like 45 days. Life is good. My wife is like dealing with me way better now. And 45 days comes around ish, you know, and I'm just back to being a piece of shit, I'm fucking toxic. I'm negative and nothing's, nothing's good enough for me. I'm just, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just being a victim. And I didn't realize that, you know, when you get that white space, when you get, we call it, we call it white space, uh, in the military. Like when you like, Hey, our, our white space is this, like basically all the terrain that you own. When you get that, that freedom buffer zone, you have to do the work. You know, it gives you the, the opportunity to, to invest into yourself. And I didn't know any of this shit. I'm like becoming a psychonaut, you know, uh, by myself and on my own accord really. And so I, that's when I got into like self-reflection and journaling and, uh, all these things to really use the power of the plant medicine to dissect why I'm acting a certain way, how am I feeling a certain way? Um, and dude, I've been doing plant medicine for like five years now and Beautiful. ever since I've been out and it's been an absolute game changer. There's so many stigmas around it. Oh, I don't want to go crazy. And like it, you're, you're crazy to know that you're fucked up and, and to not want to do anything different about it. I'm not saying plant medicines for everybody. Uh, but how you fucking know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. How do you know the water's cold? You go dip your toes in there and you see if it's fucking cold or not. Then you fucking, fucking jump a. in head first. And Cody, have you done it with, have you done it with, have you been guided or do you always do it on your own? Like how, I started well, how off you, on my own uh -huh. and um, my very first guided, never with, never with mushrooms, my uh -huh. first ceremony uh, with a shaman was in Peru. I did ayahuasca and changa out there. And then my, my second. Uh, did your wife do it with you? No. No? Uh it was crazy too. So I've been doing shrooms now for like two years and I'm in my friend's house in the mountains of Tennessee. And I just come out of this, this trip. I got there and his friend shows up like, Hey, you guys want any shrooms? It was just like the universe talking to me. I'm like, yes, I, I tripped that night and my whole trip, I'm expecting like to like be in the, the cosmos and fucking crazy. No, it was like, I had my shirt over my head the entire time. It was a super internal reflective one. And I came out of that journey with this message saying I'm living a life without me and that I'm ready for the next level. Hmm. And I'm like telling, we're all around a campfire at, 
as I come back from the creek and I tell my wife and my friend, his wife, this shit, and they're like, you think I'm fucking crazy, right? You talk about any of this shit, people think you're crazy. Sure. The next day at 10 o'clock, my phone rings. My friend's like, uh, he's like, hey, there's an opening up to go to Peru to do ayahuasca. Are you interested? And I was like, what the fuck? And I told my wife this. She's like, I'm like, oh, I, I can't. I was scared. Yeah. Now the, I was scared of it, taking that next step for myself. Yeah. It was too freaky how it all kind of worked out. And of course I did what a scarcity of mind does. We don't have the money. Right. My wife said, we have the fucking money. Go do it. Your wife said that. Yeah. She's God a badass her. dude. Yeah. God bless her. Uh, she's helped me so much with like that scarcity mindset. Um, oh, we can't. My wife's like, yeah, we can. I'm like, well, I can't throw my trash over there. The Taco Bell dumpster. She's like, yeah, you can just fucking walk over there. Dude. I'm like, well, I'm good. Are we in trouble? Like those are battles that I had in the van. I was so yeah. insecure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, wow. yeah, Peru was my first experience. And then I just did in October of last, November of last year with uh, the nonprofit called Vet Solutions. I did Ibogaine and 5-MeO DMT out there. And that was, that's after years of doing uh, mushrooms, LSD, DMT, uh, ayahuasca, changa. And then um, to be able to do Ibogaine and, and 5-MeO were, they were, the, they were the absolute game changer for me. How so? <sighs> Ibogaine, uh, imagine it, it's, it's a slow worker. Once it's in you, it, it's working. I had a completely different reaction to everyone else. Uh, I, that was guided? Uh, it's not, these weren't guided. Uh, uh -huh. They were like, you're in like a, like a ceremonial room type of stuff. And like, you know, uh, you have like, like watchers, but like, hey, here's your doses and here's your little rattler and you're like yeah. shaking. And once you start to have the effects, you like put your blindfold on, you go do what you got to do. And I went out there. I was, I felt so called to, to, uh, to let go. I don't know what it was. I just, I felt like I couldn't cry for years. I couldn't, I just felt this thing to like, just kill myself. Like just, I have to let, there's something I have to let go. And I couldn't pinpoint what it was. I'm like, oh, I have childhood trauma. I'm like, but fucking do I? I have war trauma. I'm like, fuck, I don't really have, think about war, but there's something holding me back in. Uh, doing the five MEO DMT, you have to let go. You're gonna let go one way or another. And uh, I've, I've I've done DMT a shit ton of times before that, and that is a you got to let go on DMT also, especially when you break through. But it was nothing comparable to the bufo to the to the toad. And um, I felt this ball of trauma, not a particular trauma, but I felt this ball of trauma leave my body, come out Whoa. my mouth. And as soon as it came out my mouth, I just started bawling. I literally felt it come up through my fucking throat, out my <sighs> mouth. And I just started bawling. And I, and I said, I'm fucking free. And I, I literally fucking pulled off my mask. And I'm like, I'm fucking free. And I'm like, I'm like, fuck. I just started like roaring, dude. And I, I've never, I felt like I've had a governor on myself for years. Yeah. You know, that you're like, scream. I'm like, ah. You know, like <laughs> very, yeah. very like half-assed. Yeah. And, yeah. I felt free, man. I, I felt what I, what I, what I call is like what God is, you know, I felt this, this, this sense of love and opportunity that's always been there. Uh, I just, I needed that assistance. I needed that, uh, I needed to experience what I had with me the entire time. And, uh, there was no level of like processing on my own to, to get rid of this trauma. And yeah, it was crazy. I, I I'm a firm believer in it. People, but I think people like fall to psychedelics. Oh, I was going to change my life. No, you, 
you're going to change your life. It's only going to show you what you can be. It's only going to show you the fucking way. But, you know, if I tell you how to become successful, you still have to do the work. That's right. If I, if I tell you how to, how to live a healthier life, you still have to do the work. That's right. And that's the hardest fucking thing. And people are like, the work, there's no pill. You can fucking trip all you want to, bro, but it, it ain't changing your life. You have to reprogram your subconscious mind. You have to do things or you're still going to live in another state of delusional like fucking days where it's just a little bit better than your, it's a little upgrade from your normal hell right. you call existence. Right. But if you have any like inclination to want more out of life, your life that you're like, holy shit, I'm going to die one day. What do I want to do before I die? Holy shit, I've always wanted to go here. Fuck. I should probably plan that. Yeah, take that step. Yeah, because once you plan that, you're like, oh shit, I need $20,000 for this trip. How can I get $20,000? You start start thinking differently. You start thinking, you know, I love helping people win. Like I'm on this growth of winning, you know, externally and, uh, but mainly internally, but it all starts with like that. You just pull that thread and like, what's the next step? And I love being able to take the experiences of psychedelics and and, and convey them to people because is not for everybody. For sure. Not everybody wants to do that. So how do you how do you help them bring break their their chains that are in their mind? You know, you have to be, be able to articulate in a certain way. And so I really feel I just feel called to be a messenger in a multitude of ways, but to just, hey man, you're not alone. You know, like you don't need war to have fucking depression. You don't yeah. need what I've had to have this. Like I feel the same way for X, Y, and Z reasons. And so many people feel like we choose, we choose to avatar together. But people think because we might have the same skin color or hair or we drive a car, or we go to work, that we're all the same and that we're, this is just how it is. And that's not, we, we choose to play this game called life. We choose to do these things. We're so much more than the exterior that we, we call our reality. Dude, and, I, I, there's, there's so much power, I, I think, honestly, man, for, like, for, for you to say the, the, those things and to say the things you say. And, and I think that for you, say so you don't have to go to war to have trauma. I mean, like, but look, man, like anybody, like all those voices in people's heads, it says, man, shut up, man. Stop being a fucking bitch. Suck the fuck up. It's like for you to say that after what you've been through, and you know what the fuck you've been through. That's why you've been able to step up to leadership. That's why you've been able to stand up to the system when the system was bullshitting you. That's why you, you know what the fuck you've done. And you say, hey, look, man, I'm afraid. You've admit, you admit that. I, I, I was acting like shit. I was treating my wife like shit. Like for you to do that, it has such fucking immense power because then everybody else in their life would be like, well, fuck, if he can do it, I can fucking do it. And I'm just wondering like specifically, like what has been your experience, whether it's in like, you know, the team's community or whether it's in like the veterans community period or just in general, like with depression, with suicide, with people getting kind of swallowed, swallowed alive with this stuff. And, 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 and where do you think this plant medicine can really step in and, and, and be effective? Yeah. I mean, depression is definitely real. Once I realize what stress and depression looks like physically, I can like see it in people's face a mile away, fucking puffy, rosy red cheeks, you know, fucking shallow breathing, uh, easily triggered. Uh, I can't be in Walmart, you know, I mean, I want to go to Walmart in the first place, but like, you know, I, I, I can't be in these like large social settings. Right. Um, and my interaction with it is like, they don't fucking feel seen and they try to still mask it. You know, I, I, I just lost a friend of mine. Um, he's an army vet. He just killed himself the day before mother's day. Sorry. And, uh, he had plans to come see me. He's like, Hey man, I'm going to come see you. Maybe we go do some of that type of stuff. Um, and I talked to his wife and she was telling me that, uh, 
they like set out sausage. She was going to cook sausage in the morning. Uh, it was mother's day. And he, he said, I'll be right back. And he didn't come back in a timely manner. And so she, she called his phone and she heard it ring. And he's like, this fucking dude's like avoiding me. So she went outside the garage and she saw that he uh, hung himself. And, um, I'm just like, so when it comes to depression and suicide and all these things, I have to remind myself that like, you know, everyone, you only know the level of hell based on someone's willingness to open up and expose it. And even when they know they're in a safe place to do so, they still don't. Um, I can't tell you how many friends, uh, have killed themselves. Um, my, my best friend killed himself last year this time. Uh, same thing. He's like, Hey, I'm going to come see you in like two weeks. We're going to talk about business, starting another business together. And he, he fucking kills himself. Um, he was battling depression. He was battling all, all sorts of things. And he was definitely into plant medicine. So I'm convinced that people are going to do what the fuck they want to do. And as much as I say, I'd like to stop suicide. You're never going to. Uh, this guy, my, my friend that just killed himself uh, a couple weeks ago, the past year of his life has been the best year of his life from being out in the military. Hmm. Uh, I, he was in, actually in my coaching group. I, I, I paid him. He was an employee. Like he was just like, I saw so much value in this guy. Like I brought him in underneath the curtain, you know, and like under my wing. And um, I, I believe in this dude and the way he treated his family changed, you know, us working together. The, the, his whole life fucking transformed. And he still killed himself. And so I don't know why people, people do that. I like to think plant medicine can help people. But then the day, like the plant medicine reveals what you have to do. And it could be, it's just that one next thing. And, you know, looking back five years ago, when I started this journey for myself to heal my soul and to find out who I am, if you had told me I had to do five fucking years of this shit to get to where I'm at today, I'd probably be fucking dead. But we don't see the power of like what time is. When we're suffering, we 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 want it fixed now. But when we look at, um, when we look at the journey, the journey, it, it is the way. You know, it, it, you're supposed to suffer, bro. You're supposed to really fucking question and doubt yourself because that's when you find all the good answers. But I'm convinced that as as much as I think my friends are strong, they're something fucking strong in them. I don't think they're fucking weak. I think they're fucking stupid. Um, and I, I'm, I'm brutally blunt with that message because there's too many motherfuckers that think suicide is their gateway to their fucking problems. There's not enough people saying, you're a fucking idiot if you think that's the only option you have. Uh, you're a selfish fuck. My wife literally tells me, I think about it a lot, dude. I'm lost every fucking day of my life that I live. And... My wife, told, she told me this, like, uh, after this guy killed himself, she's like, if you kill yourself, I will make sure your son knows that you're a fucking coward. And I'm like, fuck. And, uh, so I don't know why these fucking dudes and chicks do it. I I think, I believe in, I believe in predictive programming. I believe in, I believe in all sorts of programming. Uh, they tell it to you on every fucking movie with a veteran. You have to be suicidal. Uh, you have to be violent. Right. You have to be the stigma. Uh, I mean, that's the culture we've built. Um, plant medicine can't save you. At the end of the day, you have to save yourself. No sky daddy, no fucking plant is going to really save you. 
that's the power you have. And that should encourage you enough to fucking make it happen. I, mm. you know, I, I see all these stories of, of men and women that are literally like shitting in a colostomy bag. They got no fucking limbs. They're, they're breathing on a fucking straw, you know, but they're like, they're doing it. Fuck yeah. Every fucking day. They're probably not in la la land in their, in their minds. They're probably suffering, but they're doing it every day. Fuck yeah. And that's what a fucking leader is. A leader does the shit that nobody wants to do. A leader does the shit that's hard and it's scary. You know, my, my friend that killed himself last year, his wife told me that, oh, he thought he was having dementia and didn't want to be burdened. And I probably butchered that a little bit, but I'm like, I would have wiped that fucking dude's ass until the day he died. That's what a fucking friend is. And when you think that, you know, people like I've gone through so much, you didn't go through it to, to be selfish and kill yourself. That is someone else's salvation. If you just open your fucking mouth and share your journey. Um, but there's so many selfish fucking people in this life and they take this pain and this trauma and they haven't figured out how to transform it. Like I'm an alchemist. I've turned my shitty ass fucking metal tar tarnished shrapnel into fucking gold. And everyone has that same power. Everyone has that ability, but they haven't tapped into that, that way of living yet because they don't believe in themselves. They're scared. It's hard. It's unknown. Where do I start? Bitch, you start by starting. You start by saying you don't know where you're at and that's how you start. Congratulations. You're on your journey. Amen. Then you start by like, oh, fuck, these are the things that I do that bring me to the same space. Maybe I don't do those things. So, it, but it's not easy. It's not supposed to be yeah. easy. And to me, that's the gift of life. I'm not here to fucking work a job, invest in a 401k, not buy my dream car because I'm being a good steward of my money, become 70 years old, <laughs> decrepit as fuck, and then I die. That sounds like a boring ass way to go. That just, that sounds horrible. But that's an American. That's the program we have here. Not, be your best self. You want to be fucking happy? What makes you think you can't be happy? I saw, I saw, I remember my second deployment. I'm in Iraq. I ran into this family from Uganda. It was a mother and like three fucking kids and they were washing clothes in like dirty muddy water. Smiling. Meanwhile, but in the fort, in the background, there's like a fucking tank blowing up a building. <laughs> there's the spread of gunfire happening. Yeah. And um, one of the French speakers we had, she says she was just happy that she wasn't getting fucking raped. It's all perspective. And one thing I love about, um, I'm a huge LSD fan. And what I love most about LSD is that it shows me the different dimensions. My whole life is a, is a fucking analog TV. I can flip to this one, this channel, and be happy today. I can flip to this channel, I can be sad. I can flip to this channel, be a dickhead. I can flip. To, I can flip to any channel and have a different reality, and I can do that right now. You feel like you have control over the, the over the uh, the flipping. I've seen it. Yeah. What's the difference? You ever going outside? I'm like, man, it's gonna be a shitty day. It's fucking rainy outside, and then the sun comes out like five minutes later. You're like, woohoo! Let's go to the beach. What happened? Your perspective happened. That's what happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You went from being having the worst day of your life because of fucking sun, and then five minutes later, your whole outlook on everything changed that's how powerful you are the sun didn't change you you decided to change yourself you're like uh-huh now i'm happy because you're associated to this and all these psychedelic journeys that i've been on and i've realized that i really can change these dials dude if i want to be fucking suicidal i'd be dead as fuck if i really want to do it i'd be fucking gone but i want to live more and if i wanted to be a dickhead when i don't agree with my wife and I want to repeat the same thing I did for years where I just pester her and bug her. I can be that. I'm still that guy. I can still be that dude. But I choose to fucking be on a different dial because I've fucked with all these dials. I know all those realities exist right now. <laughs> yeah. And I have that power to fucking become whatever channel I want to be. 
And I can literally step into any role of that right now. If I want to be pissed, you know, when my friend killed himself, I'm like, I was sad. I cried. But I'm like, fuck, dude. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna waste this this finite time that I have crying anymore. Yeah, I'm fucking honor all these motherfuckers by living and not being a bitch when I want to fucking check out, when I want to like, you know, throw in the fucking towel because my life is hard or 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 I'm up against the wall, you know? Like it's easy to do that, but it's easy to change these channels. People do it all the time in their reality, but they want to apply it to their internal reality because they think there's a disconnect. But this is all a projection of what we have in here. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And is it that easy to to have that perception? No, that took me time. It took me an investment to like to get to my and this is my world. This is my conclusion. Will a bear still eat me? Absolutely. Can a car hit me on a highway if I walk in the middle of the street? Absolutely. But can I have a good day even if I'm having the worst day of my fucking life? Absolutely. How do I know? I've done it already. So now I just have to remember how to bring back that feeling into my present moment and realize that what I'm going through right now is I I have to be going through this to hit the next phase. Mm. I I work with a few high-end clients and they have all the money. They have, they're super successful. They can, anything they touch that turns to gold, they can create anything. And their common theme is fulfillment. They're looking for something bigger. Mm -hmm. They're looking for them. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think half the world is looking for them. Mm-hmm. I think half the world doesn't even see them. Like when I work with people, I'm like, go, go find the nearest mirror and focus on your pupils. Most people won't even do that. Like, oh, that's just weird. That tells me you're disconnected from mm. yourself. And that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But now you know that's a, that's a, that's a step one if you want to choose to. Can't, take, can't go on if you don't do that first step. Yeah, and that's just one of many steps, right? But like, how can you really acknowledge your internal dialogue if you don't even acknowledge yourself and... I mean, for years, dude, I avoided me. I hated who the fuck I was. Like I, even when I was like 255 and jacked, I thought I was like anorexic as fuck. Like I'm, I'm still kind of getting over like the body dysmorphia. Um, but that was like two decades worth of shit, right? Like I hated my internal dialogue was not congruent with like my outside world. My outside world, I was great. My inside world was absolute like hell. I do, do, do you know, like, do you have any idea like where that was coming from or does it not matter? I never felt it was trauma, dude. I never felt valued and appreciated you know I, a lot of it came from the military like there was no attaboys in the military i'd walk into rooms in the military you know being the senior guy with all the chest candy uh, knowing that i'm a badass not because of what i'm wearing but just like i know inside like i'm a badass like i was a badass when i was in the boot camp you know what i'm saying like it doesn't really matter on my chest i know my worth and value but yeah. i walk into these rooms i feel so inadequate i feel like i didn't belong there because you're always getting like this fucking mean mug like you know like there's always sizing you up on everything you're doing and you know then i, I told you about like my dad like i'm just i just wanted my dad to tell tell me I, he loves me uh like verbally saying it you know and so i never felt like i never felt valued i never felt like uh my sacrifice was worthy of being acknowledged because my environment never like let that, it never happened there. Uh, so that's when I got on. I've really felt like that, that whole victim mindset that I was telling you about uh, being like disconnected and woe is me, you know, yeah. which I'm glad it happened. Yeah. It needed to. Yeah. It yeah. needed to. Yeah. Look, man, I, I appreciate how much time you're giving us, man. I know it's, it's, it's fucking long. I guess my last question is just like how, how this just manifests in, 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 in fatherhood and what fatherhood does for you and, 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 and how you approach it. So I have a seven-year-old son that lives in Germany. 
that I get to see for the first time in seven years. Wow. Um, uh, in a couple months, and I'm I'm really excited. I'm terrified, but I'm really excited. Um, I have a uh, a younger son. He's 16 months, and when he was born, I was like, "Fuck, I'm a selfish person by trade." When he was born, I'm like, "Fuck, I can't do what I want to do now." And I was just like, really yeah. like battling this, like, "Who am I?" And like the first three, four months of his life, I'm like. I didn't feel the shift. I was like thinking this magical shift is going to be there. And yeah. I'm like, it's all going to click for me. And like, it's just, I'm just magically not going to be a piece of shit anymore. And it's just going to be the greatest dad ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that did not happen. Yeah. That did not happen. <laughs> it was probably like six months old. He looked at me and he like touched my pinky and I fucking melted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I love both my sons. I, f- I hate more than anything that I, created a, a statistic uh, with my oldest son. You know, something you hear about the military, like these motherfuckers got kids all over the place and no fault of anyone's own. Life is life. Shit happens. But I didn't want to be that guy. And uh, I know what growing up and wanting my dad's attention was like. Like it took me to be an adult to work through a lot of shit to, to reflect back on that. But to like <clears throat> put my oldest son in that type of situation. And, and the craziest thing is I, I struggle still to this day. I don't even know how to have a conversation with him. We, we speak different languages. Um, and so I'm really, I'm really excited to just like go out there and like just go to war with it. You know, just like I'm fucking here for this. Let's do this. Okay. Um, but with my youngest son, I have to watch myself. I love on him a lot. Not like baby. But I just, I look at him and I just like, you're worth everything. Mm-hmm. You're, you, you, you're so pure. And I'm like, fuck, he, he reminds me that I'm going to die one day. He's, if you ever never thought you were going to die because you're fucking delusional, your kid is an actual life clock. That's right. And um, wow. I look how I view my mom. My dad passed away years ago, but I look how I view my mom. And you know, I, I'm a mama's boy. My mom and I did a lot of healing together. And my mom and I's relationship is like super legit. Uh, but it wasn't always like that. I was, a, I was, a, I traumatized my mom my whole time in the Marine Corps. I was a dickhead. Um, so it took getting out and a lot of, a lot of plant medicine, a lot of, a lot of healing or self-reflection to, to mend that relationship. Uh, that was a lot of years of programming that I did to her and she, you know, she was programmed to react a certain way and, and interact with me. And I just, I'm like, I look at her, I'm like, fuck, I love her so much. I wonder if my son's going to love me as much as I love my mom. I wonder if my son mm-hmm. knows that I love him and I'm just trying to be better. Uh, and so I look at him and the whole fatherhood aspect about all this is, it's it's scary because I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing, you know. But that's okay. I have a lot of great men in my life, and I love when my when my son is like when my friends come over. I'm like, hey, you want to hold my son? Like, I want my kid to be exposed. And I meant the whole tribe thing. I get it. Like, I'm about it. It takes a village to do this type of shit. I don't want to be the only dude. Yeah. My kid knows. I want yeah. him to be. I want him to see these these men because 20 years from now we're going to see my son and he's going to be fucking 20 doing whatever the fuck he's doing. And we're going to, we're going to be able to reminisce on this and we're going to be able to impact the life, you know, and that empowers my friends to get another opportunity. And it's just great. And then being a dad really reminds me like, fuck dude, I got to take care of my health and my wellness. And, um, my last phase of growth really for me that I identified was the body. That's, that's action as well as my physical body. And so I've been working with a coach, uh, 
her name's Rebecca. She's super legit uh, for my mobility and like my actual strength, not my ego strength, my actual strength, the functionality, strength and training and uh, get my fucking hormones checked. You know, we both obviously know Sid and, and Cormed. And uh, just my overall wellness, like what I'm eating, how I'm sleeping, like I'm going to do a brain treatment facility again in two weeks, not like a month. My TBIs are like really affecting me again. And um, how do they affect you? It happened like a year and a half ago. It was like it was a significant like like switch. I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm fucked. Like I went from like super flow state to very like rambly all over the place. Like my ADHD is like very bad, but it's not even positive, like super genius way. It's like, I don't, I need help. So like I started hiring more people to like, I need help for the simplest, dumbest shit. Um, because if it's up to me, like I'll just fuck, I'll ruin it. Like I'll, I'll make sure the ship sinks, even though I have a way to save it. I just, I can't get it out of here. Um, I'm stuttering a lot more. Coming up with words uh, is becoming quite difficult again. Navigating um, structure, that is like the most impossible thing for me. Timelines is unheard of for me. And so, but it's really, it's really bad. Like I can't, my short-term memory is really bad. Like it's, it's caused a lot of issues in my relationship. Um, You can only tell people so long, Hey, my TBIs. And then, but it's like really my fucking TBIs and, um, but I, I believe in like investing in myself in all these ways. Cause I look at my son, I'm like, dude, I don't want to be mush brain. I want to be part of this kid's life. And I can't, I can only control what I can control. So I'm just trying to like influence my, my environment to the best that I possibly can. Um, but yeah, I look at my youngest son and I'm just like, dude, I, I love you so much. And he's like worth it. I, my wife and I have this conversation. Like, dude, we have to be fucking jacked. We have to be fucking healthy. We have to be fuck you rich. We have to be fucking like fuck you independent. Like we have to do all these types of things because if we don't, how are we going to tell him to go do that? And there's multiple realities. You know, there's like in the military, there's play the game or there's fucking do the job. I did yeah. the job. I didn't yeah. play the game. Yeah. As a civilian, it's the same thing. You can like do what you're supposed to do or you can like, let's get creative and figure out how we can earn our income, provide for our family, spend more time with our son. And like, that's what we're doing now is like do as much work as we can from home and on online. So we can like maximize time with our, on our homestead and with our kid. And we're not going to send our kid to public school. Like why, <laughs> why, if I don't want to do that, right. that's all I need to know is because I don't want to. Right. Right. And um, we can't ever encourage him to like be his best or show him a new way of life if we're not creating one for ourselves. So it's been a, been a good challenge and uh, it's a, it's a good proof in the pitting, putting that self-work and the investment and the psychedelics have all worked for me. Cause like he'll lose his shit. I'm just like, chill. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, fucking just chill. My yeah. wife, she's like, sometimes she'll like lose her shit. She spends way more time with him, yeah. but I'm just like, Oh, it's not a big deal. Like we'll figure it out. You know? Yeah, and, yeah. But before the, uh, that would not have been me. So he just reminds me to like be better. I just yeah. want to be better, mainly for myself, but so he can benefit. Um, but yeah, fatherhood's crazy, right? Ish, dude, that shit's real as fuck, bro. It's, that shit's real as fuck. It's like every day is one day less, right? Oh, and man. it's like we all, you know, I love what you said, that human clock. That's like so, that's so fucking true, man. And, uh, and bro, you got anything? You got anything else you want to say or anything for me? I appreciate you, dude. I appreciate you too, man. Fuck, I really appreciate you, Thanks man. Thanks for, uh, you know, I've, I've said those things before and I've never like, I never like, I'm growing. I can feel growing 
um, if I can just share about my service dog real quick. You, please, you said that. Yeah, please. Um, so I met, I met Munin 2011. Um, this company called Fallen, they were, they were at the SHOT Show in Vegas, and my friends went up to them, uh, kind of fast forward, and they're like, hey, Cody's in a bad state. I was doing that investigation. Um, and they're like, we need to get Cody a dog. And uh, went down to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, did some training with other dogs, and they're like, this is the dog for you. I'm like, no, she's a girl. I don't need her. I want a manly dog. I want like something terrifying. And yeah. <laughs> I, I trained with all of them, and they were just not good for me. They were just two in the red. I needed like not that. And so they brought back Munin. She's a German Shepherd, Belgian Mal. She like runs and jumps on this like platform and like puts her head on my lap. And um, 24 hours later, I go home with her. And that dog saved, like physically saved my life like numerous times. And um, she, about January, she was uh, – I brought the dog everywhere with me at work. She went to dives with me. I took her to free fall school. She shit on the mat. <laughs> like it was a big deal. Uh, but like – because she was trapped and she got trapped inside and she wasn't able to go outside. But I, I, I was so grateful because people like brought her with me or people allowed her, me to bring her with me. And, um, January, her, uh, her hip dysplasia really kicked in. She started going blind and really senile, just barking all night. And I felt, I looked at her and I just felt so bad how I'm, I was a bad dog, dog leader and how I didn't take her out on walks every day. And I just, all this regret in my life. And I didn't think I was strong enough to like, to help her and take care of her. And I kept on putting it off since January. I'm like, I'm, I can't do this. I'm not strong enough for this. She'll be okay. She'll be okay. Um, and, um, she just wasn't, man. She's in fucking pain. And my dog's, a, she was a fucking warrior. She's savage. And, um, that's the type of dog that just wanted you to know that she loves. So here I am looking for love for my dad, looking for acknowledgement from other people. And I had it the whole time. Mm. And I told myself, like, I have to, I have to do this like a big, this is a big like step for me. And, you know, letting go of my service dog was the hardest thing that I've done. That dog literally saved my life so many times. And, uh, but it was also the biggest growth spurt in my life, in my, in my, in my recent life that I can really look back on. I'm like, I knew this was part of it. Because I had to be a leader for her, you know. I was I was so selfish, and I felt even worse that I was. She was suffering, and I'm like, oh, she can still kind of get around. She's not that bad. And but what that dog did to my life, I mean, was is like legendary. And um, but to take her to the vet to schedule that appointment and to take her there and to, you know, fucking bathe there and groomed her her last day and. It was a it was a part of the process and another reality that nothing lasts forever in this life. And I don't know, I just I just wanted to share that. I really felt that letting go of her helped me grow. Um because holding on to her pain and suffering, I was holding on to a lot of my insecurities and my uh my remorses and my regrets in life and I flashed back my whole life with her and like things I was doing, things I was going through. And then just to see those eyes and mm. um, just what a gift, you know, all these, all these things that we have in life that are, that are there for us to guide us. And it's right fucking there. 
um, to me, that was like the most special gift I've ever got to experience with her, what's her life and mm. what having to, I'm not gonna say man up, but having to like step up and like do the thing that I didn't want to do, be a fucking leader. Um, it was, it put me in this like different state of, uh, state of being that I haven't had in a long time, you know? So like, I'm just like, fuck it. You gotta just get, you gotta keep on fucking going, dude. Like it's, this is part of the journey, yeah. you know? Um, because when I got muted and I wasn't worried about, Oh, she's going to have to die one day. Yeah. No one thinks about that. No. And then reality comes. Um, but I'd be doing her disservice if I threw it all away, if I didn't take all the good that she's given me. Yeah. So, um, I just wanted to give her a shout out, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. God bless. And and do you want to honor her? Do you want to tell me, uh, do you want to just tell me, is there like one special story about her? You said she saved your life so many times. Is there anything just by, by like honoring her? Like something, tell me about how special she was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I first got her home, she didn't, she literally laid on my chest panting for like weeks at a time. Um, and I, I, I call them, and I, I call the, the people that I got her from and they're really spiritual people. And they're like, Oh yeah, she's taking your demons from you. She's taking your wow. pain from you. And, um, I feel like, she, dude, she she was just supposed to be there and the one of the greatest lessons she taught me and she did for me was like i judged the shit out of her because i'm like i thought i in a, in a state of like help and desperate desperation i thought i knew what was best for me but the the owners of the company they, they knew exactly what dog i needed i'm like i know better and i'm like how many fucking times i've doing that in my life with yeah. all these other things yeah and then when you just let go and you let go your fucking ego you let go all the stuff and you're like dude she walks with me the best she loves me for no other reason than she loves me. It was just lesson after lesson after let them. I mean, she couldn't play fetch for shit. She was an <laughs> asshole. She would uh, go get the ball and she would drop it like four feet in front of you. Yeah, dude. I'm like, you fucking dick. <laughs> yeah. Um, but man, just yeah. thinking about all, all those opportunities to, that I would never have had if it wasn't for her yeah. uh, and, and her helping me heal and, Honest and change stigmas, even like the the mental health game in, in my organization. Like, why does that guy have a dog? Like, fuck you. That's why, bitch. That's like, why. Yeah, I'm, deal with that. Fuck you, man. Yeah. My life is important, and yeah. people were like, yeah, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. And so the people who got the head nod, they yeah. got it. They understood it. Straight the people up. who didn't get the head nod, fuck them. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, that's how badass my dog is, dude. I just get to share time with her, and I just you talked about it earlier, and I just I just wanted to. Give my love, my my yeah. my Raven, uh, fucking shout out, man. Fuck yeah, man! I'm glad. I'm really glad you did, man. I'm really glad. I'm gonna carry that, man. Hey, man! Thank you for doing thank you. this, bro. Thank, thanks, man. Thanks a lot, bro. Love you.